0: This is Leroy Thompson introducing you to the to the what what do you call it now you have a name for it that's the bits of prophylactics or something what is it what is it it's a, a bits of the bits of rubber or something like that but there's some nonsense that has to do with a special effect and has to do with the people that like the special effects so that's what this podcast is going to have to do with it's about the special effect and the mold making and people that do the mold making. <laughs>
1: So uh, I, I I'm still in Texas at the moment, and I have been uh, spending a bit of time at Brick in the Yard. So I decided, Mitch, make an All in all, it's just
2: another brick in the yard.
1: Do you know I never made that connection before? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> One of the things was he was he pulled out some old Gorzo magazines. We're looking through them. We're looking like the old adverts and stuff. Remember Baby Stinky and all that kind of stuff with the nightmares mask. <laughs> We're looking at that. And we got into the subject of that because we, we weirdly, and I don't know how this came up, I think it's because we had some phone calls during the day about, you know, because he runs the shop. He gets a lot of phone calls giving out technical information. A lot of it was about... Uh, the people that make the realistic babies um and so we we started talking about that a bit so that that was interesting and then uh we went into like the 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 backstory of why it's called brick in the yard i don't know if you're familiar with why it's called brick in the yard i am not (laughs) that you'll do listen to this you will enjoy it (laughs) well i'll let mitch explain it in his own words with the news footage which you'll be able to listen to
2: (laughs) great is that part of the podcast Uh, it will be part of the podcast yeah (laughs)
1: Great. Something to look forward to. Well, without further ado, let's go over to the Brick in the Yard and uh, listen to what Mitch has to say. Yay! So it's 8.42 in the evening. And uh, it's still pretty warm. Well, Texas is warm this time of day.
0: This has got to be probably 95 degrees out still. It just seems probably cooler because it's not the blast furnace it was at 104 so. Whatever it was this afternoon. But, yeah, Stuart, welcome to Biddy Mold Supply or Brick in the Yard, as you see our sign says here, Brick in the Yard Mold Supply. But come on in.
1: We are considerably cooler in here.
0: It is. I would like to point out that we keep Biddy Mold Supply at an even 74 degrees uh, Fahrenheit because uh, for the comfort of our patrons very nice and the materials appreciate it I'm sure they do yes silicone is silicone likes the the cool temperatures <laughs> so yeah you're standing here uh, by our vast makeup selection uh, we carry this is all of our we have our, our shop organized into a few different sections here and it's it's all, almost like a weird wormhole of uh, products and industry things that kind of swirl around in here because here we have makeup and special effects, very th- things that are very specific to the makeup effects world, like the silky adhesive and the fleet street blood and all that sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, our sculpting tools and all that sort of thing. And then uh, right over here we have all the Sculpt Nouveau stuff, which is a totally different thing for finishing metal and sculpture and, and that sort of thing, all kinds of metal coatings and patina solutions. And then over here, we have all the hot wire foam stuff. And uh, this is a little bit more for the, you know, people starting out that are jumping in and want to, you know, something pretty simple they can do. We carry this for a lot of students, uh, college students starting out. And then as we go over here, we have all of our life casting supplies. We have a, a pretty wide selection of alginates and, and of course, our plaster bandages. would not to be confused with uh, uh, model railroad plaster bandages and all of our release agents. And then, as we go on, we see our foam latex and other monster maker stuff. We have our monster clay and um,
1: latex and
0: and latex. Yep, yep. of course Sculpting we have latex stuff. and um, yeah. It, it's kind of a weird minefield of, of weird things around here. And of course, uh, this is our uh, our Jacob's ladder. And yes, that is a real Jacob's ladder right there. High voltage. And this was actually from a customer of ours, uh, Douglas Hildebrand, who was kind enough to make this for us. And uh, we have several pieces by him around our shop. And then we go on around. This is our selection of resins, and we have this is mainly casting materials over here. This is all of our resin products for you know casting whatever kinds of resin widgets or sculptures. And then we have the PT Flex rubbers for casting like rubber props and that sort of thing. And then on around here, this is, of course, the Holy of Holies, the, all the uh, silicone compounds that we sell, the plat-sealed gels, uh, which surprisingly are not kept in a safe where you might think they would belong, but they're out here where the, the layperson could just easily grab them and take them off the shelf. <laughs> and then as we walk through here, um, as Stuart has mentioned, the, uh, we have many posters of uh, motivational posters, I would love to do more like Soviet-era looking posters all over our shop. With this one, has Tim saying, "Your productivity matters, so stop daydreaming about the ocean and get back to work." Which, yeah, you really have to see that to appreciate.
1: What we'll that. put that on the blog. Yeah.
0: So and then we'll go on back. This is our, you know, back in the the uh, the, the bowels of the shop, as it were, um, where we have our coffee and we sit around and 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 uh, tell crazy stories every morning and uh the area we're standing in now is where we film videos and promotional things we have our backdrop here where we ah, the familiar time yes like backdrop is yeah it? that's that's what it is and wait uh, who
1: made that did you guys make that you no both?
0: you know i wish i could take credit for that but that was one of those things i needed a backdrop and i went on uh on the dang interweb and i found one and i found one that i could buy several of so that when i ruin it i can replace it that's you know yeah. someday i might replace that so you know who knows it just it, it was a good backdrop background to work against that's why we went with that it's a lot of stuff seems to kind of stand out in front of that mm-hmm. um and then we have our booths where we eat lunch and and uh, hang out and talk and that's
1: I've been making sculpting tools here today. Yeah, this is the area where
0: Stuart's been making sculpting tools, and then we have uh, uh, our poor. We have several areas where we package products and um, all kinds of little hiding holes like that around here where we package things. It's real important. That's one of the reasons we keep it the air conditioner at seventy four degrees in summer, winter, and we keep you know almost no humidity in here because everything we sell is sensitive to humidity. and uh, and to some degree, so it's real important that we keep humidity almost non-existent in our universe. So this is uh, where we ship things out. This is, we have several shipping tables in here where uh, as products are coming in and uh, Larry packs them up and puts them on these tables and then uh, we wheel them out to the dock to get picked up. So this side of the building has our our outbound dock and the other side is where all the stuff comes in. So I'll take you out to the warehouse. This is and uh, there's a mitch head sticking out of the wall that's been modified to look like a vampire for whatever
1: reason I and not like these these cohorts which are the uh, fish heads
0: yes that is from i w- went to a taxidermy uh show years ago and somebody asked me if if gelatin could be used to mold a trout head and i said well let's find out and there you
2: go well, there's there the can. answer yeah. right there <laughs>
1: So considerably warmer in here. It is, in space. fact.
0: Now you'll notice a, a you know, one of the constants around here is lots of thermometers, because I'm big on knowing what the temperature is wherever we're at, and I like to make sure we know. Uh, obviously, if you, you've been around the block with silicones and urethanes, temperature is important. So I like to keep track of it out uh, here. It is 90. It looks like. About ninety-five degrees out
1: here in the shop, which is about yeah. thirty-five degrees Celsius. Going to that, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. just,
0: yeah, just, just for the record there. So, Pretty toasty. Uh, and this is where we have all of our pigments. This is where obviously things are stored that are not temperature sensitive since they are at ninety-five degrees. Things like plaster bandages and uh, you know other compounds that don't are not affected by the heat. And here's our giant evil robot. This is actually,
1: yeah, that's, that's me knocking. That is not moving.
0: That's solid. Yeah, this thing is. If the robot uprising starts anywhere, it's probably going to be here. And this is a massive uh, robot that was originally made Humvees for a very short time. I think this this machine only has like a few hours of actual labor on it. You know and before they shuttered that plant and these made humvees so we we've wondered if we like just threw a whole bunch of scrap metal at it
1: it'll know what to do and, yeah and memory. if it, we could
0: actually fashion a humvee out of that because it's trained to do that so uh so yeah this is our warehouse so we're standing right now in the part of our warehouse where we you know most of everything is is finished goods ready to head out the 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 door and then this side of the warehouse this is where things come in this is the east side and the east side where I try to keep a big area of this wide open because, uh, you know, we do a lot of moving around with a forklift and reconfiguring things, so we always like to have a big wide open space so we can hot rod around in here. Um, but uh, you'll see over there above our silicones, over the five-gallon pails of gel tin, there is a bunch of body molds. That's where we store our body molds. And those are leftover from videos and things like that. We and there's our all of our urethane foams. We have a, a huge selection of flexible and rigid urethane foams. And there's more mold scat. And there's your sculpture
1: from last year. Oh, Stuart. yeah. Plaster head. Yeah,
0: that's right. a uh, Patrick head. Wow, that's still there. The
1: nice monster clay. That's yep, the old plastic.
0: Head. head from 2015.
1: Wow. And over
0: here, this is actually, this is my head from 2003. And this is actually the crew from Barney. Um, they wanted to learn how to do headcast back in like 2002 or 2003 or so. And uh, I did some workshops with them to show them how to do headcasts for their, some of their making custom suits and whatnot. And they said, well, gee, thanks for teaching us this and we want to try this out. So they did a headcast on me and they did a pretty good job, so... That was my head. That was how I got my head cast.
1: Amazing. That's so, a good cast as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think they did a good job on that. And, uh, um I did a lot of stuff with that cast. I think I've finally kind of outgrown it, but uh, but that's me, circa 2003. And yeah, there's all kinds of things around here: alien arms, uh, head of my ex-wife. Uh, you know, you name it. It's it's tucked around here. And this is even after we've we've had uh, a few dumpster loads of mold scat that we've thrown out over the years now this down here this hallway this other walkway is uh, more warehouse this is where our forklift resides and you really need to get a shot of our forklift like out front at some point and so people can appreciate our forklift because we have the coolest forklift of anyone in this in this industrial park have you seen the side of our forklift no sir ok you need to kind of, it's kind of tricky stepping over next here. time
1: I'm here i have to get a photograph of it yeah Boom. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, for, for, for the benefit of the record, it's a, a reclining naked woman uh, in gold about uh, 18 inches across lying on her side. Yeah, it is. I've not seen one of those on a forklift before. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you sort of see on, like, you know, old ships back in the day in 1700s. Yeah,
0: that's, Well, Patrick, uh, Patrick Cup did this, and it's kind of funny. He was commissioned to do this by a trucker. I know that's going to come as a surprise. Um, who wanted this for his truck? And he was convinced that everyone was going to want one of these. So he had a mold made and had Patrick sculpt it, make a mold. And I think Patrick's made like one for him and then one for our forklift. <laughs> so, you know, it's. Uh, Best laid
1: plans, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, so yeah, so that's why we have that on there. Patrick was kind enough to. To install that for us. I'm very I'm very proud of that. And the funny thing is when the truckers do love it, I will say that. They may not want to pay for it, but they do love it. Like when I come out and un- I'm unloading a truck with a forklift and they see that chick on the end they'll be like, man, that's awesome. So yeah, they like it. And then over here, you'll notice that we have our shifter for this flying forklift. Wow. It is a Robbie Knievel cane head copy. Wow. So Robbie Knievel, when he's not jumping over things, he doesn't get around very well because he's jacked up his back so bad, and he walks with a cane. And one of our customers made his cane for him, or the head of his cane, which is this a cobra. That's so awesome. So the RK is is like uh, not Robbie Kong or anything like that's Robbie Knievel. That's awesome. So, yeah. So that the son
1: of Evel Knievel. Yes. Who I grew yes. up uh, admiring. I had a toy of his yeah, as well. The, the, yeah. The, the the jumping bike.
0: Oh yeah. The one you crank and it That's right, yeah. You push the little button and it takes off and
1: And the good thing is if it crashed and smashed and, and broke, that was a very realistic toy.
0: Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what that's pretty much what you did. And you almost you know, the sad thing was you kinda hoped back then you kinda hoped that would happen because that was where you the good television came from when you know that when they didn't make it and smashed headlong into the school buses or something. So uh, so anyway we have that wraps up our tour of our warehouse with all of our stuff around here. We also have a loft space up there uh, over our office area that's full of even more mold scat and all kinds of exciting things. But, yeah, that's we have no shortage of interesting things around here.
1: It's big. I mean, what, what, what's the square footage of this place? Uh, it's about 6,000 square feet. Wow. So Most of it's out back. It's just surprising how big yeah, this is. Yeah,
0: people, people liken this place to the TARDIS because they'll come in and then it keeps going. There's more little rooms and places. So, yeah, the part the actual public sees is probably, you know, 600 square feet. And then there's all this area behind it. So, yeah, that wraps up our tour. This is all of our cool stuff. And then, you know, here we're back going into the, the air-conditioned comfort. Uh, and, of course, as you see that door close, you'll see that there's that labyrinth thing. That is done by one of our customers. Oh, I'm trying to try and think of his name now. And I'm, I'm having a brain cramp. Um, uh, but he uh, made that, uh, sculpted that copy of the head for the door knocker from uh, Labyrinth. labyrinth
2: yeah. um,
0: that's amazing. So
1: there's just loads of little things. There's heads and there's claws and life casts and bloody axes and rubber weapons and just everywhere you look, there's a little something that's interesting. Yes. And,
0: And by the way, I'd like to say that there are some head casts on my walls hanging up that are, that are absolutely terrible, dreadful head casts. And they're not there to show off that, say I'm a great life caster. They're there because they're kind of a piece of history because this gentleman right here, this was Glenn Nail That was one of the earlier life casts I ever made and a full head cast. That was just a face, a cast pulled from his face. And Glenn has passed on now. Glenn is no longer with us, but uh, he was a surgeon or not a surgeon. He was a a nurse or something in the OR out there in uh, University Medical Center in Lubbock. And he paid me to make a severed head of him just so that he could put it in the specimen fridge and mess with the doctors. That dude is awesome. You know, that's, that was an awesome guy right there. Anybody that puts that kind of time and effort into screwing with other people is a hero of mine. So yeah, so, Glennail, so the, Leroy,
1: the Leroy Thompson. Spirit yeah, yeah, he is was part in, of that.
0: Yeah, and then uh, uh, that's Chris George's face cast. Chris is a friend of mine from eons ago, and that was another one of those, uh, one of the original head casts that I did. That uh, um, then, uh, you yeah. know. There's some others that are missing from around here. But anyway, you get the idea. But yeah, so there's some, like this one of Sean Thorne was one of the welders that I worked with that uh, um, that's a really terrible cast out of. But, you know, it's a surviving part of my early years. So it's nice to see, you know, where you came from. And then these are Britney Spears. This is a girl who is a Britney Spears lookalike. And we molded her head and we molded her in a couple of different expressions for a werewolf movie that never got off the ground. But okay. We did some casts of her, and the really, this is like a third or fourth generation pull. I was really proud of it. The full head cast of her with her mouth open looked awesome. Wow. And unfortunately, I don't have that whole head cast anymore, but that was a really cool mold. And there's a video of that, oddly enough, on YouTube. So, so there you have it. Here's our bathrooms and uh, more posters and um, all kinds of things. Cool. So there you have it. A tour, a an audio tour of uh, Bitty Mold Supply. Okay, so we're on. We're yeah, but I'll just okay. edit whenever. Okay. I mean,
1: the, the the weird thing is, whenever I say, "Oh, we're recording something," people okay. become different, yeah, because they're now being recorded. Whereas I just think you just kind of chat with it first, and then you forget about the mic, or I do, and then you just kind okay. of get into it.
0: Coming down off my crack cocaine high, so I'll just ease into this and <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> looking very good on right. it. I, thought, I was expecting missing teeth and you know bloodshot <laughs> eyes and stuff, but not a bit of it. You know, there's oh, yeah. what they don't tell you about is you know if you, if you counter it with enough vitamins and stuff, you can be fine. You can, yeah. You just got to eat right and you know, <laughs> exercise. <laughs> that's that's the key. <laughs> oh my! So yeah, I, I don't know. So here we are. We're, we're a brick in the yard. And you've been here for how long now? You've been there eight years?
0: Oh, right? uh, we've been here for, well, okay. So we opened up in 2004, in uh, the end of 2004, about November, late November of 2004. And we were next door in a single wide, as I recall it. And then we moved to our double wide uh, in 2006. So we've been here just over 10 years. And we were at our previous location uh, almost two years, so it'll be twelve years total. All that Whoa. complicated answer to say we've been here almost twelve years. It'll be twelve years in November. So, Amazing. yes, okay, 12, uh, 12 long years. Yes, in business years, that's like you know, like dog years. I mean, that's like a long time. So, I just like to you know make that point yeah. that this isn't like just regular metric years. No. <laughs> so, yeah, this is each various, one marked by yeah, another yeah, day of yeah. toil. This is this is definitely a lot of time. Uh, growing steadily when we got when we opened originally, I would say you know the special effects side of things was present but not near to the extent that it is now. You know, Dallas has never been a hotbed of special effects activity, so we kind of eased into that over over the years. Even mm-hmm. though that was my first love, that was something I really didn't focus on as you know from a business perspective. Uh, I would say probably till late in 2006, okay. when we really started to, to move more that direction.
1: So, Because, I mean, the haunt industry here is very big. And, I mean, in England, I mean, for people that don't know, it, it's literally like an attraction where you would go, typically at Halloween, but there are places to do it year-round, where it's like a thing you go to, you pay money, and you go through a series of rooms or... Setups where you are basically scared witless by whatever is waiting for you, and that can be performers that jump out of the ground or are on ropes or hidden behind oh, yes. things. Or, um, But that's a really big thing here, and it's not really something we've had in England. We've, we've got some of it, but not to the extent here. Yes. So that obviously kind of feeds into it. To some degree, I guess, because there are people. That it do it does, way. and the
0: haunt industry is uh, that has also grown a lot in the last. You know, when I first was exposed to the haunt industry in the early '90s or mid '90s, it was, uh, I mean, very, very low budget. I mean, people would hang up pieces of black drop cloth, and uh, you know, very minimal grease paint on people to to get a scare, and and I, I've seen it go from that all the way to now, you know, silicone masks and you know, people using flat molds as part of their makeups and their lines and their, you know, some of their characters doing really extravagant stuff and, you know, doing, uh, you know, Hollywood level theming, you know, in their uh, set design, even though you can't see a lot of that, you know, in poor haunt lighting. So that, that industry has changed a lot. And because there's a higher level of expectation of people going through haunts now, more people are putting more money into set design and better quality makeup. And so, yeah, so we've grown with that. And then, uh, and you know, the, the film industry, of course, also has grown a lot around here. And it's popped up in Louisiana thanks to the film incentives over in uh, Louisiana next door to us. We, we supply a lot of the films going on in Shreveport and Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Wow.
1: That's pretty big. It's getting bigger. And it's just, it's. I mean, since I've, I mean, I started, well, about six years ago, I think, was the first time I came here. And it just seems to get busier and busier, and your shop's getting more and more stuff to sell. And every five minutes, someone's coming in with a question, or the phone's ringing off <laughs> a quick technical yes. Questions, which we've discussed to some yes. degree too. <laughs> yes, like the
0: silicone babies. <laughs> yeah, the silicone baby people. I don't know which, if that's uh,
1: something you guys, do you all encounter that? We, I mean, because I'm uh, I, I admin on the 911, the Neil Gorton's 911 effects page, I get to um, see a lot of people who apply, and we get them in waves. I don't know if like a thing happens where a forum somewhere finds out about the group and then we get like eight people apply and they've all got like a, a highly, a highly realistic, but yet creepy baby. Yes. On thing. And I, I don't know enough about that side of things to kind of comment really, but it just, it's strike me as it's peculiar. It's, a, it's, it's weird to think yeah. that someone being made up as a demon is less creepy than yes, a baby. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my take on it.
0: It's like if the baby looked like a mutant baby. If it was like a like a baby stinky, baby. You remember the whole yeah, thing? yeah, baby, exactly. Yeah, you know, yes, a baby stinky that would make sense to me. I yeah. could, I could totally get behind making a few dozen baby stinkies out of silicone. That yeah. that would be awesome. I would walk around with a baby stinky in the mall. And for those the uninitiated, the baby stinky. Anyone from the 80s that looked at the back of a Fangoria magazine, I think it was Distortions or...
1: I think so. I will uh, look it up and
0: I'll, I think I'll get that, a picture on the blog this. I think this. it was Distortions Unlimited that had, um, with their whole uh, full-page ad of all these masks and these amazing masks and everything, didn't they have a uh, like a giant baby mask that I guess you were supposed to wear while you the baby
1: there was Stinky... Which is a mask? Oh, stinky! Okay, and then baby stinky, which was the baby you, stinky. You put over your arm, and then you actuated it with your hand. You moved. Yeah, it, and it, it was, a hand, it was that a hand that puppet that you cradled looked, it with your other hand to hide the joint, kind of thing. Yeah, and it, and it looked and it looked just enough like a
0: baby that yeah, it was it was it was uh, sufficiently creepy for the late '80s. Yeah, and uh, I worked worked at a costume shop. In fact, that's where I got my start. Was uh, the costume shop I worked at. One of the the lady uh, Carol that had hired me, uh, her and her husband had hired me. She would walk around the shop with a baby stinky sometimes, trying to okay. get customers to react to that. So, so yes, yeah, so I remember baby stinky very well. But yes, yeah, so to bring that full circle, the silicone baby thing, if you know, if it was up to me, it would be mutant babies and things like that. That's something that I would push in a stroller around a mall, you know, with zero embarrassment. Yeah. You know, whereas a regular baby has feeding times and diaper changes and all. I just I can't get my mind around that. Anyway, I've, I've mean, been through yeah. that with three different real-world children, and I don't want to simulate that
1: with a piece of silicone. Yeah, but because yeah. I think the thing is when you get the baby and it's like a fake monster baby, you go, oh, and you get what the point is. But then when you go, oh, it's not a real baby, then suddenly all these questions start. So instead of getting an answer <laughs> to the thing, you get lots more questions. You go, are you, like, you, uh, what, um, how... What, yeah, what? What, do what you, brought you? Yeah. And to this this point, point. Yes. I don't know. Maybe 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 there's a good psychological reason to do it, but it just seems to be uh, a creepy thing to me. And probably yes. most people a, that
0: it is a dip, is a very strange niche, and um, it's I should say it's a very interesting niche that that and we get a, a fair amount of calls yes. for about silicone baby making materials on an almost daily basis. So it's it's big enough that it's a thing that people call about and
1: which is why we kind of we've kind of we're not going to talk about just that but it, yeah. it's kind of come up <laughs> yeah. 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 as a, a thing a, because a, it ha- it happens a lot and it, I guess because the skills involved in making a silicon baby are the same as lots of other things that we yes. do the prosthetics and it's stuff It's
0: exactly like making a severed head only it's
1: not a it's, severed head no. and it's yeah <laughs> not part of a horror film. But the thing is if I make a severed head you could see that and you go I know exactly what that's for I understand how that fits into the scheme of things and I can accept that people want a fake severed head. If I make a highly realistic baby that you bathe and change and sing to and walk around and pretend is real, that opens up a lot more questions than it answers, to be honest.
0: It does indeed. So. And I feel, I, I mean, I feel just a, a, a tinge of guilt even questioning the normalcy of that. <laughs> just because there's so many things that I have people react to
1: adversely in my shop. So I don't have a whole lot to stand on there. But still... Yeah. I mean, I guess people like, if you lose an ear or a nose through an accident or illness, you may have a replacement put on and it makes you feel better. That's understandable. But I guess, I don't know, maybe dealing with, the, you know, the loss of an infant or something, but that doesn't seem like yeah I'm, I'm, a healthy way of dealing well, with Well, I that. think, okay,
0: and our just, you know, and I know, yeah, this is not a silicone baby blog, <laughs> but, but it, as long as we're on the philosophical end of it, I think... I think the underpinning a lot of what we see on our end is these babies go for a small fortune on eBay. So those of you listening, you know, want to is look that this desperation up, dollars. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, there's some, there's, there's a pretty wide range. There's some yeah. really expensive ones, and then there's some really cheap ones. Yeah. But most of the really good ones, they go for a small fortune. And so what we've experienced is there's a lot of people that see, oh wow, people are willing to shell out some serious coin. For a silicone baby, so maybe I need to be in the silicone baby business and they buy the supplies and go and make silicone babies. Sure. So I think there's an economic incentive on the side we see, but I don't know that it necessarily I don't know that there really is the demand
1: that is implied by maybe not by yeah. eBay. But and it's not to denigrate the skill or the craft no, involved in making any of the things. Because, but it's just like like, you know, if I if if I was say I'm gonna make a realistic, you know, um dummy then that's kind of cool I for mean, a film but if i'm making i don't know you got to hand it to him because <laughs> i mean that's
0: a much more marketable obviously i was born without the entrepreneurial gene that just helps me see where money can be made i'm not i'm not really wired that way so you know you got to hand it to like the, those of us that are spending like you know 40 or 50 hours of our time building a highly realistic silicone head that exactly no one wants to buy. <laughs> you know, there there's a lesson there in yeah. uh, just supply and demand. It's just you know, so there is there is something to be said for actually making a product that there is actually a demand for on eBay. Because I bet I'm not even going to search this to find out, but I'm pretty sure that if you were to search silicone severed head, that they're not fetching the same kind of price on eBay as a soul baby. No. no,
1: but I bet if you put like uh, a socket to be able to put like a flashlight in the neck, you'd probably find that you could sell it. I'm not suggesting anyone does that, but I'm just like, someone made like a vagina foot, like a foot with a vagina in it or something. I mean, I don't know why anyone would find that particularly appealing. But uh, I'm just saying, if you made it, you'd find someone to buy it and then you'd be like, why did you buy that? Yes. So... <laughs> So there's a
0: lot of yeah. So the, so uh, those yeah those of you listening that are, are thirsty for business ideas there's some there's some fertile ground. To, yeah, to, find something that you could put yeah. a vagina in.
1: <laughs> yeah, a body part that could plausibly yes. And sadly, and,
0: and and you know as long as we're as long as we're just going down that path, let the record state that in in this side of the business as a supplier of silicone and specifically as a supplier of silicone materials that are designed to simulate human tissue. We get a a phenomenal amount of calls about people wanting to make let's just say adult devices so and that's something we really don't that just that just happens organically we don't pursue that <laughs> we aren't really that's not really what, why we're here no. uh, if people use our products for those things that's their business but uh but yes we get a fair amount of those calls as well, which is that that's um we it's it's always kind of a uh, contest around here to see who can avoid certain c- types of calls like that when they come on the phone and it becomes obvious what uh, you know what they're wanting. But alas, so yeah, there's, so there's a lot. There's a, a quick breakdown of some of the supply and demand. But we really, <laughs> I'd like
1: to do Rubbing noses and chins too. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's also there's there's
0: there's much much more uh, uh, down to earth uses for our products. But yeah, so we've been here since. Uh, 2004 selling silicone selling you know the ever popular gel 10 gel 00 now the gel 25 and uh and really yeah the the bulk thankfully the bulk of our our clientele is not asking us to make you know vagina foot combos or anything like that so so thankfully that those are oddities and uh that we don't encounter a whole lot so
1: but if people do want well, to, they know what to come together. get the <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if if
0: you are so inclined, we 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 do have the, the supplies for that. I, I that that's one of those things where I plead ignorance. If people start asking those questions, I let them you know sort those things out on their own. Now I I will happily give people technical pointers on severed heads and things like that, but I'm I'm not going to go down that path. Uh, just in case i run for state office or something someday i don't really want that snapping you know. at your heels yeah
1: <laughs> oh dear i don't know why we went on that tangent but it's yes. very funny <laughs> so if you're still listening
0: if you're still if you stuck through if you stuck it through the foot vagina thing that there's there's i'm sure there's
1: more usable knowledge to come i think the thing that interests me is that Having been someone that has been buying materials for a long time, is that um, there are like you know there are manufacturers that they produce things like silicon or whatever, and they do these in huge factories and they make it by bulk. And then it comes to places like this where you you know you package and you sell stuff. But a lot of people don't really think necessarily of places as being run by people. they're just like these faceless. They call up or they make an order online, and this thing turns up. But there are people here that work and package it up and put these things together. And it, it's kind of just a chance to kind of discuss that side of things and just let people know that, you know, if we're all people that work here and you take calls and you spend a lot of your time. I mean, I've been here a fair few hours and you spend a lot of your time answering calls and filming questions and most of which, you know, if they're not relevant or it's like, what you want isn't this thing. It's not like just trying to... We, you, turn, know, you know,
0: sadly, uh, one of the graphics, one of the posters that we made that we made more for our internal amusement is... Uh, and you, I think you posted a picture of it the other day on Instagram, but our uh, poster that Larry, our shipping guy, created, it says, uh, Biddy Mold Supply, tempering ambitions since 1995. And we made that because... And it's a picture of a dude with his head in his hands and, uh, you know, in despair. And we made that because we... One of the sad realities of our universe is we have to tell people no on a lot of things a lot of the time. when people come to us and say, "Hey, I've never done special effects before, Ben I really want to make a realistic cadaver prop like something out of CSI, yeah, and you have to very politely explain to them that that is like probably going to be you know a twenty or thirty thousand dollar undertaking that they're probably not going to be able to do on you know on their first go at it. So there's a lot of those things where we have to kind of explain to people, you know, if there's an kind of an entry point into this business and starting small and working up and uh, and that's always that's always kind of a tough tough news to break to people. But the the people that are are really into this sort of thing, they usually appreciate
1: that. No, I, I mean, I, the thing is the client calls I get are normally about making things and I'm making for somebody else. But for you it's kind of like because the- you supply materials. They're asking about using materials. And yes, obviously.
0: And typically, yeah. we like it to be about the materials we're actually selling. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. If someone yeah. calls you up about, like, that I got property. yeah, the, the, we we get that a lot too. If I got this stuff at Home Depot, and uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's silicon, basically the same thing as what you guys have. And can you tell me how to you know make yeah. a severed head with it? And then we have to uh, we have to explain that that's probably best. For sealing an aquarium and no, you know. putting on skin. Yeah. yay! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. We and uh, now to rewind a bit. You know, my background. I came to this from uh, the costume. I I say came to this. I I didn't segue immediately from costume shop to uh, you know silicone mold making supplier. But my background was I started off originally as a magician, and then. Uh, uh, I worked at a magic store here in Dallas that uh, we sold uh, magic tricks and we sold makeup supplies and I I got hired, I assume, because I would like to think it was because I was a great magician, but I really think it was more because I knew the makeup side of things and I knew the magic side of things. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to move between both counters seamlessly and that was a you know a nice thing to have if you're a shop owner and you don't have to hire two guys. And the more I started looking at that, and we've talked about this about some of the books back then, you know, the books to get into makeup, kind of the gateway drugs, as it were, back then, were like the Lee Bagan book. The uh, we had we sold the Lee Bagan book. We sold Richard Corson's stage makeup book. Um, the Vincent
1: Kehoe one. I, was I the, think so. The, the one that's black of... that has uh,
0: the picture of the American Werewolf in London on the front. That I think was they they Percent.
1: split off into a, a separate thing, but the the original one I think was like a white book with loads of squares, different colored squares. Okay, no, we didn't have that one. I think it was called The Technique of the Professional Makeup Artist. Okay. It was really quite a heavy tome. No, no, I missed out on that one. No, we had the
0: Richard Corson and we mainly had that for, it was like a textbook for people that were doing makeup. They could come in and pick that up. The Corson book's fantastic. And I, being a a poor uh, high school student and not having the 30 bucks or so that they were charging back then for the the, uh, Lee Bagan book, I would read it any time I had downtime within the shop and would try to learn as much as I possibly could before I finally saved up the money and got that and the Savini books and all that kind of stuff. Back then it was just, I say the Savini books, it was just one Savini book back then. So uh, that was what got me interested in all this. And really, I wound up uh, going more into the special effects just because it was, you know, from the magic angle, magic is a lot of work. If any of you have ever done live performance I really still enjoy live performance, but live performance coming up with new material all the time for a new audience, you know, on a sometimes weekly or monthly basis, whatever your audience is cycling around, that's a lot of work. So doing special effects work, you can do that and you don't have the same pressure. You have the pressure of it being on a set or you have the pressure of, you know, creating realistic things uh, at the the whim of a director or something, but you're not having to do that in front of a live audience in real time. So, um, you know, you, you have a little different set of circumstances, but ultimately you're really doing the same kind of thing. You're creating an effect or a magic trick in front of an audience. Sure. In this case, you have a, you're able to get that audience kind of focused through the lens of a camera, which makes that a little bit, uh, uh, you know, easier to configure that. But essentially it's the same thing. You're creating a magic trick using chemicals and uh optical effects or whatever you're you're achieving those with so that was really what took me over from magic to you know and i still perform once in a while for fun but that really realized making having that realization that uh you know effects was a you know kind of a better fit for me Mm -hmm. Uh, i took off in that direction and and uh haven't looked back but that's you know, we've got the Gore Zone magazine sitting over oh, here. i was just admiring these. Yes, uh, you know, and uh, the same thing, collecting up all Gore Zones. And yes, stuff. any of the those of you from uh, the, that remember the 80s? Go for it. Open up. I'll I've open got i got several of these in there, protective wrapper uh, that Stewart's moving in on. Um, that uh, that so was good. that was one of the highlights of of uh, you know when I discovered. I, I store remember in study hall in high school. Um, was it Caglioni and uh, it's the, what's the Drexler? What? What did they call yeah, there? Caglione
1: and Drexler's effects lab. Yes, they're effects lab. They have lab one that, with Mark Shostrom as well, and just you know,
0: yeah, that <gasps> is there the it one. is. Yeah, and uh, I, I remember stumbling onto one of those articles in Study Hall and thinking like that was the most magical thing I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, actually had pictures of molds. Like, typically Fangoria magazine was more pictures of like you know just people in makeup or props and finished props and things. And it was more for the horror fan where that article and those articles were uh, great for anybody that was really trying to get started in the business. You could actually see molds
1: and actually see real techniques at work. It's amazing because when you look at this magazine now, it's basically all the things that the Internet provides easily was in here. You get like these little classified ads. And (laughs) and, and they're not even necessarily selling something. It's just like you used to have like... People was like, "Oh, Freddy forever!" Or do you know what I mean? There'd be like status updates, you know, like well, you know, the, ramblings. Or the the sad thing about this is, I,
0: I look back at some of those Effects Lab articles now, and you think, you know, some of this is like you said, you could Google that, and you could probably find out that in you know twenty pages more with a Google search. But back then, you know, without the internet, pre-internet days, that was big. To even see a picture of a mold was a big deal.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh yeah, most
0: okay. guys were real shy about having their molds photographed or uh you know any kind of uh behind the scenes kind of stuff photographed. So mm-hmm. oh, yep, there you go. Baby stinky distortion? the stuff of nightmares. There, there we nightmares. go. We yeah, found the yeah,
1: yeah. baby stinky ad. Oh my god, there was an adult stinky.
0: Now what was Baby Stinky baby... going for in nineteen
1: eighty nine or nineteen ninety? Was it Baby Stinky? Does it actually have a price on there, baby stinky? <laughs> baby stinky was twenty seven dollars twenty seven US dollars now
0: adjusted for inflation that's probably probably be like 50 or 60 bucks now at least but, that's not
2: bad but really.
0: baby stinky was essentially just like a, a latex head with baby clothes glued to it so yeah. it wasn't like it was you know don't if if you haven't seen baby stinky and you're going by our audio don't don't imagine a really impressive baby <laughs> stinky because baby stinky had little uh little latex hands that would fit on your pinky and your thumb I think and then uh,
1: the little rubber head, and that was it. <laughs> I'll put some pictures in the uh, the blog. I'll take some snaps of this. But yeah, I mean, just looking through this, I mean, this is why I wanted to say, like, you know, when, when I first came here, it was just like that. It, it was the feeling I get when I used to read through Gorzo. It was just like little things everywhere. You know, there's just little effects things, or there's books on magic, or there's books on all kinds of bits and bobs. And it's just like, it was just like this whole magazine stuffed full of little things that appealed to me. And if you're interested in effects, it was just like so much to see, and there'd be like one, like one or two articles maybe, and it that actually told you how stuff was done. But that was enough for me, you know. Oh yeah, and that's this was pre Google, so you know you were grateful for the fact. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and those of you who are collectors and you're into that sort of thing, uh, if you definitely look up the old Gore Zone magazines because that's there is a lot of good material in those in those effects lab articles, which, you know, again, probably all stuff you could Google and find out really quick, but seeing some of those pictures, and especially seeing them for what they were in the day, back, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, that was huge, because, you know, there was no, there was no way to, to to pull that up
1: and see what, you know, animatronics looked like. No. And it was, I remember, um, like, the Lost Boys uh, episode of Fangora, I think it was, they were talking about it when it came out on VHS, and it was like, I think it was going for like $70. Because VHS video films used oh, yeah. to cost a lot of money. So it wasn't something you would do lightly, you know, unless you could get like a pirate copy, which wasn't easy because it was all manually copied. There was oh, no yeah. downloading well, of anything. You know? well, I, it was just like...
0: You know, I had the benefit of, when, when I was working at the costume shop, my sister, my, I have an older sister, in fact, my older sister that used to work at the video store that I'm about to tell you about, she is now our bookkeeper here. Uh-huh. So, uh, she hasn't been able to get away from me yet, uh, but she does our books, and uh, and she, being the good big sister that she was, she would, uh, when I would go to pick her up from work, she would let me pick out videos as long as I brought them back before the store opened the next day. Okay. So, I would have my run of the video store every night from, you know, at 10 o'clock, and I could pick out anything I could watch. Before and you, they were how opened. old
1: did they say?
0: I was, I was old enough to drive, so I was like seventeen, okay. I think, at the time. But she let me pick out stuff, take it home, watch it, and I'd just have to get it back first thing in the morning. And uh, and that was when you know that was back in the days of you would look at the VHS cover and pick out, but you'd watch your movies based on the. The, art, the artwork, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some of them were crazy, and some of them were just wildly detached from anything in the in the actual yeah. in the actual video. There were some I was so so disappointed. I remember the lift, uh-huh. the killer elevator. <laughs> did you ever see that? I don't think I did, no. <laughs> that was one that you know, we were, we had high the hopes for. the painting. Like, oh come on! Yeah, <laughs> and we 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 brought that home, and it was so bad. But it was one that was so bad. We would then rent it for other friends to watch, and try to tell them that it had actually been really good and then see how long they'd sit through it, expecting it to get better. But uh, but yeah, so I would get to watch a lot of those those movies. And you know, like you said, yeah, back then to buy a VHS tape was a pretty good investment. So uh, I would just borrow as much as I could. And that's when I saw, first saw Scream Grates, uh, the one with uh, Tom Savini in it mm-hmm. going doing all the behind the scenes. And that had some amazing behind the scenes stuff. And it uh, a lot of, especially from Day of the Dead, that had some just phenomenal like uh, uh, makeup gags. There was a lot of really amazing makeup gags in Day of the original Day of the Dead. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that that allowed me to to uh, to watch a lot of those and then have my dreams crushed by some of the content that was just completely disproportional
1: to the cover art so yeah, yeah. Um, but then the making of it ended up being far more interesting oh yeah yeah that's it yeah thing.
0: day of the dead i mean don't get me wrong day of the dead i, I know uh, i'll sound like a heretic if i say anything ill of day of the dead because it was a, it was a good movie yes but the but the making of was way better the any of the the behind the scenes stuff was that was really what i wanted to see more than the actual day of the dead yeah
1: yeah, that was the thing. It was always oh, like, you, you, know, you zeroed in on yet another makeup effects lab. Zen and the art of foam latex. They did one on plaster, which is uh, awesome. Do you know what? I don't think I've read this one. Oh, I don't think I've seen this one. <laughs> oh, that's quite exciting. There you go. You, you, your first page is color, and the rest are all black and white images. Oh, my gosh. I may have to sit and read this. Not now, but later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and that's that. That's one thing that gives me hope for the future is the prosthetics magazine being a color version. It, it's like an expanded version of the uh, the effects lab section.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that I hope so too. And it does, does to it does seem to be. It does seem to be. You know, it comes out. You know, it doesn't come out in quite a, this, the same kind of tight schedule. So there's there's something very different
0: about actually having it in your hands and be able to sit down and read that rather than it up on the interwebs and uh, you know bookmark pages and things like that I really like to have physical copies of things in my library that I can that I can go to and that's why I have this smattering of gorezone magazines in here yeah definitely it's, oh there's baby stinky again baby stinky again oh my gosh, yeah I'm telling amazing. you baby stinky played a played a pretty major role of the uh, in the the Halloween industry back then
1: yeah yeah it really uh, it's, it's, it's it's funny to kind of see. I think a lot of people don't really realize, you know, the impact these things had. And The things like the, the mask was just like, you know, weren't, there wasn't really anybody oh, is that Oh, an, is that an article about Chud 2? I think he probably Electric realize. Boogaloo, or? That's the one. I'm reading a quote here. Just another dumb <laughs> horror spoof that isn't clever enough to be funny and is too silly to be frightening. Oh, That's them saying that, I, mean. I haven't seen it.
0: It's <laughs> it's pretty sad. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go on the record here and say that Chud 2 is pretty, pretty bad.
1: Well, there's an here for the three dimensional makeup of oh, the bloody best of Fangoria, Stephen King of the movies, Freddy hat, mask, and glove. Oh, it's amazing. Sounds of splatter, sound effects of oh. albums. Yeah, some of those are are worth
0: reading through just for the old classified ads. The old ads in the back, they're just, yeah. They're the pretty the classified stuff. ads were h- hilarious. I mean, Sometimes it was just as simple as, like, you know, things like a foam latex injection gun yes. was treated like, you know, this this thing of of, of great. You know, value that you know, and you know there wouldn't be an ad for foam latex to put in said gun, but there would be an ad for the foam latex <laughs> the foam, gun. Yeah, which, yeah,
1: yeah. It's weird you mention that because um, Rod Maxwell, who made foam injection guns, he put one up on Facebook. He found one because he used to make them, and I think it's like one of the last ones he had. He found it, and I was—I looked at the thing. I was like, "That's the first My first job in the industry was running foam latex. And I used that very same gun. So the company I was working for had used, had bought this gun, and it was just like, oh my god! And it just memories came flooding back. I hadn't seen one since it's like twenty years. I hadn't seen one the same. And it was just you know a tube with a cap and the, the plunger and everything. But not many people were making these guns, and he made you know reasonably priced, very good correctly proportioned oh, yeah. that was you a, know, a, syringe a, that you could, you know, use with a decent size mixer to pour up and it was like, that was amazing and he, he was like, Oh my god, I have one of those and he's like, Oh, that's so cool. And it's just this weird like little connections and as I get older it's quite inspiring when I meet people and you show them an article or something. It's like there's normally like a single panel or a picture or a or a page that stands out in the head that was like, That meant this to me and I'm like, Yeah, me too And it's Yeah, that very, well very cool.
0: and we were talking about a little bit about this the other day. The uh I'd say the if there was one if there was one article that propelled me on this path, it was that uh, I think it was a Fangora, uh magazine, uh, uh, like 1984, 1985, somewhere in there. They had a um, an article on I want to say it was uh, it must have been 84 because I think it was an article about uh, 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 Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, okay. and it had a picture of Tom Savini with a dude that, you know, one of the first dudes that gets offed by Jason in the movie with a hacksaw to the neck, and then he, like, twists his head around or something, and they made this dummy head for the guy. And there's a picture of Tom Savini posing between them, the two of the actor and then the fake head on a, on a dummy body and everything. And I remember seeing that, and I was fifth grade or so at the time, and I remember thinking, like, that is awesome. Like, there's actually people whose job it is to make a fake dude so they can cut his head off in a movie. That's, like, you know, and I yeah. guess it had never really clicked before that that could actually be somebody's job. That then, but here, you know, here is this guy posing with the the heads like that. And I remember thinking that was just that was just phenomenal. That that was a job. Yeah, so you could
1: hold to your parents, and go this. See, yeah,
0: he's not <laughs> in a nut house. They're actually paying him to do this so yeah. i want this and yes. whatever he's doing is what i want to do and that was also when that whole thing was it was very taboo the whole horror thing was very taboo so you know standing in the corner of the like uh, walden books or one of those places reading uh reading a horror magazine was like almost like you've grabbed a playboy magazine yeah you, you were kind of low-key about that especially as a fifth grader you didn't really want to, <laughs> people wondering what you know if there's something hideously wrong with you but I remember seeing that picture and thinking, okay, that's that's really cool. And it took you know many years before I could really uh, flesh that out. But I remember thinking that that was fascinating that there was a whole industry based on you know building all these things like this. And I had not you know I'd heard of wax figures and wax museums, but I'd never really appreciated the idea that somebody had to make this stuff. Yeah. You know, and these weren't like statues going in a museum. These had to look real enough that you were cutting between a real actor and then the dummy of the actor and blowing it up or cutting it apart or whatever and i just thought man that's that's amazing that that's even exists mm. so yeah that 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 article had a profound impact on me and ultimately that's what you know i still cite that as my my reason for my I current think, trajectory
1: yeah kozo magazine cuz you had fangoria which is still going and then Gozone was made by the same as Starlog productions i think or publications starlog so. they produced um Gauzone, and it, it didn't run for long but they did have no, very good Yeah very and i think they
0: in. re i think they came out with it again but it it didn't have you know that that effects lab Part of it was a big reason of why it worked so well back then was that was kind of a portal into the industry that that nobody had. I mean, for a kid in Texas to be able to flip open that and actually see what a real effect shop looks like in those pictures, yeah, you, yeah. you know, that that was that was really the thing that most of us wanted to see that we're getting excited about that was you know, yeah, we get it, horror movies are cool and everything, but I want to see what what does the guy's shop look like that's actually making this stuff. And what do his molds look like? I mean, that was, when you first start making molds, that's, the first thing you go is, okay, after you have a terrible failure making a mold, the first thing you want to do is go, okay, I want to see somebody else's mold. How did they pull that off? What did that guy do that made it work that, you know, what what am I not doing right? So that took me a while to actually run down, and that's where the Lee Begin book and all that kind of stuff really helped to actually see, you know, a window into someone else's shop and where they were, things were actually working. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know. oh, well, that Lee Began book was a big deal because I, I bought that It was my first proper book. And I, I remember reading it and I think in the forward, it says something like, you know, what makeup is what prosthetics. And then like the last paragraph, it says, it is already assumed you know how to sculpt. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I, I want now I have to, I, what, what sculpting. What, what is, what is that? How, why, why is that a thing that you need to know? And, you know, then I started turning pages going, okay, so someone actually has to make. And so there was a point where I I genuinely didn't know that sculpting was the thing you had to do. So I kind of had to learn to do that because (laughs) I wanted to know that badly. Now I enjoy sculpting. It's something I really, really get a lot out of at the time. It was just like, oh, it's like someone coming up to you saying, oh, you work in this bakery. You're going to need to learn, you know, Hungarian first or something. (laughs) You're like, why why is that a thing? But, um, yeah, so... Well, that's,
0: yeah, that, and I had a similar, uh, my, you know, my experience in that, that end of it was, well, I guess what kind of drug me more to the mold making side of it was, um, I worked for an art bronze foundry um, in, uh, in Lubbock, Texas, and i that was a that was a great experience from the, a learning perspective more than anything else. I mean, it was a it was basically a sweatshop, but it was a, a sweatshop where I learned a lot and I learned a lot of really good mold making techniques and um, and it really that forced me to see sculpture in a totally different way because when you're molding sculpture every single day,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you start looking at it different and that really uh, also that was you know back then again mold making and rubber mold making i guess specifically was like some kind of weird black magic and the foundry i i went to work at they were shocked that they had even stumbled on anyone in you know in the hemisphere that actually was interested in making rubber molds so so that was a good fit they hired me Based on based on my my ignorance of what I was worth <laughs> and your unusual
1: and, propensity to enjoy molding yes yes and the fact <laughs> that they
0: had stumbled on it I'm sure they thought they hit gold but because they were able to pay me peanuts to uh, to sit back there and brush silicone over and over and over and uh, and that was uh, you know oddly enough I really enjoyed that uh, but that was one of those things that really made me look at and that, it was kind of like kind of what you're saying about sculpture. I had the same epiphany about mold making of, oh, wait, this has to be molded. You know, okay, so yeah, I can sculpt this amazing thing, but if I can't reproduce it yeah. in a material conducive to the effects process, then, you know, my sculpture isn't worth much. Or, I mean, it may be a beautiful sculpture, maybe a pretty sculpture to look at, but if I can't commodify that somehow by... You know, making a decent mold and then having something to cast into that and all that—that's what really propels that ability forward. So, uh, so really, that you know, once I realized the importance of that, because we saw that all the time, where artists who were phenomenal sculptors would bring their work in for me to mold, and I realized, wait a second, these. This mold making thing. This is yeah. There's something to it's This a, it's,
1: a, it's, a, it's a job. You yeah, it's a well, job, and it's a I job. Screw this up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I, I got to get my catalyst right on this. And and you know the funny thing was that entire time I worked for House Bronze, I the now defunct House Bronze, sadly enough, but um, that entire time I think I only had one um, one time where I mixed the wrong amount of catalyst. And I was using Tin cure silicone, so luckily it's still set up. Just took and I remember, longer. yeah, it took a while longer, but I remember panicking, thinking, "Oh no!" Because I came in the next morning and stuff was still kind of tacky, and uh, and then and and everything was a slightly different mint green because it was a green catalyst with this white base rubber. So uh, yeah, that was and those are the old days of uh, you know when silicone chemistry was was still pretty basic. So. Uh, uh, but yeah, in and, and all that time, I'm surprised. I'd never had a, and I, I didn't really appreciate that until I moved on and then screwed up other things later. And I think I was so terrified of of being summarily executed or something there uh, that I just. Uh, that <laughs> kept I, you in line. Yeah, <laughs> kept me in line. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, that, that was a great experience. So, those of you, anybody listening to this that's starting out, if you want a good experience uh, that really forces you to be a good, Competent mold maker, a good, very professional mold maker is, uh, you know, find an art bronze foundry and and make molds because you will mold pretty much every type of thing there is on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, we molded lots of sad cow, uh, sad Indians, <laughs> cowboys. I mean, we were a Western. We did a lot of Western art. Uh, we did. You know, a lot of eagles, (laughs) you know, you know, you have a new appreciation for feathers and detail on feathers after you've made brush on molds of about 50 different types of eagles. So, uh, so yeah, so I did that for a while and, uh, and that really, uh, that was, that was a great mold making experience. So kind of like your sculpting thing, that was, that was one of those, oh my, I'm going to have to get this mold making thing down because if I don't, uh, basically, unless I'm making everything out of cotton and latex,
1: I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have an end product. Mm. so I think that's the thing is it's learning it's appreciating what the job involves and, and then uh, you know getting good at it I think that's is it, you have to kind of ask yourself what is it I need to be good at in order to do this well rather than what's the least amount of effort I need to put in in order to churn something out? Yes. <laughs> because it's always going to be like you know if you look at the best makeups ups that are around if that's what you're comparing yourself to that comes out of lots and lots of work and lots and lots of effort and if you do it half-assed and you you know, you're, you're trying to find shortcuts all the time, then you're not, you're not going to come with it the same spirit. It's going to be, you know, it's not a kind of a cut and paste kind of thing.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a very good point about makeup, the very best makeups, because, you know, having, having now worked in the real world doing makeup on, on some low budget films and things like that, that are done just some effect shots on, on some films that I'm not incredibly proud of, you know, it's amazing what a, poor budget can will do to stunt the quality of your work so so uh you know that there's things like that that you don't you want to be real careful how you compare yourself like you're saying that you know there's if you are in a multi-million dollar picture and there is the time to do it right then yes you will look great in front of the world and then there's those times when you make something that you wish you could you just will about pay to get it buried
2: (laughs) Okay, here we are midway in our podcast and just a little reminder to please keep those reviews coming in. We like positive reviews better than the negative ones, but let us know so we can keep doing things that you want to hear about.
1: And also drop us an email as well if you have any questions. Yeah, we do email like emails Stuart
2: and Todd at gmail.com and let us know what you think.
0: You know, we were talking about this a little bit the other day. Of uh, There's a lot of – you know now, thanks to the interwebs and the series of tubes the internet – there's a lot of really talented people that put some amazing stuff on the interwebs that might have taken them like two or three days to do this thing or this, or it might've taken them like 12 hours to do this thing. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, we were discussing is the tough thing in professional makeup effects is, you know, being able to do that on demand on set in a short amount of time. So, you know, the tough thing is distilling that talent down to something you can really do quick on on, on command on cue mm. in a short amount of time and put that out there and i think that's that's something that the internet uh and some of the pop culture treatment of special effects is kind of uh, i think people have kind of lost that
1: and realize that so much of this stuff is done under duress of <laughs> yeah and it's never you know. never it's never quite what they wanted to be or what I've seen is like the bigger jobs it, it tends to be like it's designed by committee and there's a bunch of people in suits who are like in control of things who perhaps have no experience of watching of growing up watching horror movies and have perhaps of very very poor taste who are the ones that are making not decisions necessarily that change it too much but they just influence things in a way that if they just pissed off and that's <laughs> but that's their job to interfere and kind of put in their their, their, their tuppence worth of, uh, of of input but often more often than not the stuff that you see on screen is not as good as the concept stuff that they just didn't decide to use. And you kind of, yes. think, as a as, as a completely impartial person who didn't work on the show, I oh, will have seen friends who designed a whole bunch of stuff, and then you see what they actually used, and you kind of go, "That was nowhere near as good as the stuff they designed." But perhaps it was a bit too creepy, or a bit this, or a bit that. So I quite like seeing things like haunts or like, um, you know, cosplay or conventions and things where people can kind of run riot and really do what they want to do, unfettered. Yes. Yes. By a committee of, of editing, you know, producers yes, who, who are worried that it may not make enough money or it's not bland enough to make, you know, we need to sell this in China and Africa and this and that. Because they're in a way we can kind of homogenize it and make it less. You know what I mean? It ends up getting stunted because they're trying to sell it to as many people as possible. Or they want it to be, you know, a lower rating so that kids will see it. You know, So that, that, that scene, not on everything, but it, it, it's nice to see, you know, what people can do when they're allowed to do what the hell they like.
0: Well, I I think the uh, – I would love to see an episode – I would love to see, like, one of the challenges on Face Off be something like, right, like, right as everybody's about to do all their – you know, get their whole thing done, their makeup is almost done, The molds are made, you know, pieces are coming out flawlessly, everything's going great. And then some dude busts in and he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we just had a rewrite. And now we found out that uh, this guy's not going to die in this episode, but so-and-so is. And he's going to die by way of, you know, chainsaw through the forehead or something. And, uh, oh, and by the way, it plays tomorrow because after that the dude flies out of the country and we don't have him anymore. So you can do that, right? You know, that's... Those are the challenges I would like to see on those kind of shows. I think that would add
1: that... A little bit of spice. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) have someone with a walkie-talkie on. are you you done yet? You're done yet? No? Yes,
0: yes, (laughs) or yes. The constant, uh, you know, this is only going to take five minutes, right? You know, so... Something yeah, some challenges to bring it bring it into the, the real world. I, I don't know, I haven't I haven't I have watched that. I haven't watched face up. Maybe they have a challenge like that that I'm not, Maybe they I'm not I'm privy sure. to. I don't know. <laughs> but I also after we were talking about this the other day, I was thinking I, I really want to design a new like universal theme park ride where you go through and you see the you know, kind of like the universal theme park, except now you just see some guys sitting around a computer in one area and they're planning and then the, the little tram takes you to the next area where there's some more guys at the computer and they're they're doing uh modeling c g modeling and then you go another another tram takes you through a green screen stage with a guy with a motion capture suit on and then and then you go through another tram, and the final deal is you see
1: them uh you know some guys compositing on another computer yeah. and then for all of those there'll be like a, like ten times that amount who's who are in control of data and copywriting and the legal side of things and all that. Boring yeah, and stuff then there's and another the digital the tr- assets.
0: The tram goes around another corner and there's a cocktail party. Yeah, where yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, congratulating going on and
1: golf clubs. And-
0: yes, <laughs> that that to me would be yeah the the
1: I would I would I would ride that ride. <laughs> that would make an excellent cartoon. Could you draw that as a cartoon? Do you think? I think
0: I, I think it needs to be drawn out as a diagram, and the the scary thing is I, it might be seized upon by somebody and done. You know, I've I've made so many tongue in cheek jokes like that over the years, where and then someone piece. has seized on it as a real thing, mm-hmm. like our poster of Larry out in the you know that says Larry doesn't care if you ever visit these exotic islands. We had somebody in there the other day that really took that as a thought that was a real thing. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: So. I should put some of the pictures of these posters on the so, yeah, People So so I have away. to be
0: careful what I throw out there that it might it might become a real thing if I'm not careful.
1: Because we must say, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Mitch has a very dry sense of humor. And I was very pleased to see that. You have a lot of t-shirts and a lot of posters and a lot of things that, <laughs> that fly under the radar of the uninitiated. And if you're not... If you know, if if you're under the influence of your lizard overlords, you probably won't notice these things no. because you're not conditioned to do. Well, so. and if if your lizard
0: overlord reference isn't isn't it doesn't hit home, then yeah, then that's that you're already under the influence. <laughs> yeah, that's... we refer to uh, you know we refer to a lot of people as reptilians and reptilian overlords and typically benevolent reptilian overlords, but yes,
1: so, still that kind of emotionless kind of like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the lack of of, of human inputs. Like, how can you be so? But yes,
0: we we uh, yeah, we see an interesting cross section of humanity come through our into our physical store because once in a while, someone will find us in an internet search and and think that we're like the equivalent of Michaels or Hobby Lobby or something like that, or Hobby Town USA or something, and they come in and they start looking around and they they look absolutely petrified that they are not where they thought they were going to end up because they see like. A severed head, or something like that. So, uh, so we try to make sure that's clear up front on the uh, uh, on our on our website. There's a picture of our store. We actually added that in just for that reason. So there won't be too much shock when people walk in and see things that you know might might shock and disturb them. But um, but we can usually tell within the first five minutes. It's and it's always funny the people that are not part of our you know the inner circle of the effects. Kind of part of the business. The almost without fail, the question they all ask is, "Who buys this stuff?" Like there's, like almost it, definition, it's, not it's, you. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and it's it's a it's like an immediate indictment of everything we stand for. Of you know you, you know how what like is there a way that you all you all people that do buy this stuff could be rounded up and maybe put in the camp to keep the rest of us safe? Um, but uh, but yeah, we there's there's a there's a fair amount of that uh but you know we the the shop as you've experienced here we we have it's we're very much like a a family of local artists we have a lot of people that come into the shop and just hang out and talk effects or or uh any you know it's funny because we even have some of our regular customers that do not do special effects that so just come in hang out wanna talk and um we have one guy that when he comes in he'll almost always stay for a good hour and a half or more just because he wants to see who else is going to come in, <laughs> and, and he will say that. I mean, if, he, if he's listening right now, or you know, he would he would definitely agree with me. But know? eight times
1: out of ten, he he will be rewarded. With, oh, he will be. You know? Know? Oh, oh, yeah, and
0: he is, and he has made this statement out loud to, uh, um, to to many of the people who have come through. It's like I'm here because I wanted to see you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, but even me, even me as a visitor coming, you know, just for you know a few days every year. I still, I'll be in here, and someone I know, I will have made a friend that will come into the store. So it's yeah, quite... there's a
0: camaraderie about you know the people that when you start, you know, when you walk into a place that, uh, you know, where you there's a good chance the other dude standing in the room is another guy that's had problems with undercuts before. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like a weird support group kind of thing that yeah. that we have. So um, so yeah, it's. It, we have we really encourage that and I, I really enjoy that. And, and to me that goes back to, you know, my magic store days. That was back pre internet, that was the hangout for magicians and makeup artists was you found the local costume store or the magic store or whatever, or what a combination of the two, and you hung out. That was where you hung out on a Saturday afternoon to talk shop and find out if there were some new products or new things like that around and and I like for our store to kind of be the modern equivalent of that because you know as much stuff as you can find on the internet is is really nice to have a brick and mortar place to actually walk in pick up stuff talk to other artists hang out swap some tips or whatever and uh and pick up supplies
1: and all that stuff too hopefully you know especially when it's like you know you get someone ask you a question and I've seen you do it where you could go, you could just say, yeah, yeah, buy that and they they walk out the door but it's kind of, if you think, no, that's not what you need, don't waste your money on this until you've learned that, you're wasting your time on that and, you know, that could just be a very benevolent thing on your yes. part. It could just be like, yeah, but, if you know, ang- angry customers are, are not returning customers. <laughs> yes. But you can't in all consciousness let you walk out the door with like now 50 that, kilos that of silicon that, that is, I know you can't use. Yes. So I need to tell you now that would, whereas perhaps like Michael's wouldn't give a crap, you know, they're like.
0: Yes, and that that is actually, and that could just be, a, a lot of it could just be that I have a very poor sense of economics and I just am not seizing upon every sale that I possibly could. But that is something that, that pains me greatly when people come in and they're dying to spend their money and they want to buy, you know, they're all hopped up on an idea yeah, they yeah. somewhere. They want to buy ridiculous <laughs> quantities of silicone and that's great, but uh, we try to talk them down off the ledge and get them to just start out small and work up. And that's something, you know, if anybody's listening to this that's, you know, starting out and curious about that end of it, I always recommend people start in stages. You know, start with life casting and master that. Get that down. Um, that I, I still remember, and you know, my first headcast that worked, and what a big deal that was, and and you know, and I think it's so easy for people to say now, oh, okay, do a headcast, then do blah 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 blah, and without remembering just how complicated a headcast is, or especially if they've never done that before. I mean, that is a huge step. Even now, even with everything we have at our disposal now, a proper full headcast is still a major undertaking that you don't want to underestimate. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting out, master that process, then start focusing on all the other steps, making your silicone mask or your prosthetic makeup, whatever you're going to do. But get that life casting process down, then push forward with everything else. But we see that uh, you know over and over again because life casting is one of those kind of like the mold making. end. I guess that's why I'm kind of hung up on the mold making side of the business because... That was what tripped me up the most: was making a good, learning how to make a good uh, life cast of someone, keeping them happy and your friend in the end, and not, you know, not running up a ridiculous bill trying, and making good molds that did mm-hmm. not break when you were trying to pry them apart. You know, those are important commodities in this yeah. business.
1: And a lot of the things I think that you have to be good at to do well. I think the trouble is they're, they're not necessarily spectator sports, like. You know, they're quite dry things you need to learn and do well. And I think a lot of people conditioned maybe because of TV shows and maybe because of video extras, but they kind of want to race to the end of the finished thing. And it's like, no, no, you really need to be good at mixing the alginate. Then. And I, I find constantly the people that get very hung up on the process and enjoy the steps, they tend to do better work because wherever they are at any particular time is where they want to be. They're not just kind of enduring this part to get to the end. And right. then when they open the mold, they're just crushed by a crap life cast because they haven't been present in the pro- in the process. They're so eager to get to the end of it. They're not really in the moment. And it's like it is loving every step of it. And I think yeah, you don't want to influence. just
0: look at the the life casting step as like, OK, so I walk through this door called life casting. And then I'm then I'm in the room that I really want to be in. Yeah, because, yeah, that 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 in itself is this huge undertaking it's kind of like somebody saying okay well i'll build a house and a, you know i'll throw some cabinets in there and then i'll you know move along and you know that just the cabinet making alone is going to be a major undertaking and that's um, you know that alone if you if you enjoy the life casting process and i mean it really is a a godlike kind of quality to be able to take a human being and put them in a chair and reproduce a copy of them in this other material you know next to them that's that's a a really amazing thing to see that happen. The first time you pull out a really good life cast, it's really rewarding just to see that really nice life cast right next to the person yeah. and compare the two. So, yeah, having a, having a love of that part of the process with, like you said, without a haste to just get through that to the next step yeah. is, I think, the makings of you know good craftsmen that enjoy the whole makeup effects process.
1: And it is about the craft. I think that's the thing a lot of people need to understand that I think the people that are good at it are the ones that enjoy the processes, you know, because you do, you well, do the more. And, 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 you, and I,
0: I am, I am guilty as charged on that of the, uh, you know, I was, when I started mold making, I saw that as a, as a, uh, almost like a punishing step, like this, this sad thing that I had to do to get to this other place. And, you know, in, in the process of suffering through that and, and making a lot of bad molds and, and wasting a lot of material, I started realizing, okay, this is a really important step, and this is something I should really. And the other thing is realizing it was actually a skill that was paid for, you know, that people would pay good money to have a good mold maker do their piece. That you realize, okay, this is a valuable thing. I need to take this seriously, and I need to put the
1: right amount of attention into this. Because mm. I think the thing about sculpting is, is that you invest a lot of time getting, it, but you do it one time but you may have spent a lot of time on it and you don't want to have to do it again. Yes. <laughs> so you will make good money. Is the way By which yeah. you don't have to do it again yeah. over and over and over
0: because you, you know, didn't mold it right. Yeah.
1: That's why I'm grateful for, I spent a lot of time in the mold room on shows. You know, I, I've done sculpting but I've probably done more mold making than I have sculpting for for shows. And it's like, because of that, when I do make my molds, I tend to zip to them pretty quick, but also I, you know, I, I know what to look out for when I'm sculpting and undercuts and flaring out cores and, I'm very big on like, you know, making the thing you're gonna sculpt on the right thing first. Like today I had an email about somebody wanting to cast an ear and like it's a pretty straightforward to make a two part mould, but had you got in touch before you even started sculpting, we could have corrected that core in such a way that it would have made your mold much easier to use. Yes. But you don't know that until you've done the whole process from start to finish. So it's it's really nice to be able to have that and know, okay, I know what the end result's gonna be like now, so I'll cast this in a certain way now. So that by the time I get to that step, it's all—it's a really nice feeling to know what you've got to do in advance, and then you enjoy mm, yes. it all this, every step of the way. And I do enjoy every part of the process. You know,
0: yes, there's yeah, there's something satisfying about a, a very a, a nice mold. I, I did I, uh, the guy I worked for at the foundry. The um, he he was real adamant about the mold. The outside of the mold should look like a piece of art. Okay, and obviously that's I mean that's open to interpretation as to what kind of art that may or may not be. But uh, he made a good point that the end product of a good mold should look like a work of art. I mean, you should really have, uh, and and for his industry, I mean, that, that really carried a lot of weight in the foundry industry because if you're doing a mold on contract for a customer that came in and they got their, you know their Western art or something that they've they've just paid thousands of dollars to have this reproduced. You want them to look at that mold and go, okay, that is a professional mold. That's a yeah. professional tool that's going to pull many parts for me to make lots of money. And their their appraisal of that mold is not going to be looking at the inside of it and checking for air bubbles. They're going to look at the outside of it. Yeah,
1: it's the first thing. They yeah, see the is first the thing outside. you see is
0: the outside. So you can tell them all day long, oh no, it's fine. It's what comes out of the mold that matters, and it is. But if the mold looks nice, that makes a huge difference. So, you know, making a nice, smooth, pretty mold is yeah. is worth a lot. And, you know, you're saying that about molding is not a spectator sport. And that's really funny. I, I It's true. It is not. You know, whenever we have mold-making classes where in real time we're making molds, that is part of the battle of keeping people focused on, you know, that here we are making this mold and now we're going to wait an hour and a half while this – you know, these molecules do their thing. And it's always funny to me to watch, sometimes on YouTube we'll post a video about a particular mold process and it'll get tens of thousands of views relatively fast. And you think, man, I i mean, it, it, it's that's really va- validating to see people actually enjoy watching that part of the process. And I, I hear that a lot too in calls we get where people will say, man, I really enjoy just watching that process. And that's where I want to say, you will go far. <laughs> you, will, you will go far. If you enjoy this part of it, if this is not like, you know, somebody pulling your teeth against your will, then you probably have the makings of a, of a good
1: craftsman. Yeah, I like to watch people work. And it's what's nice about w- working with other people is you see them do things um, that you, w- they're not necessarily showing you, they're just doing it. And you pick up on little things that they're doing. And they may decide to specifically point things out that they're doing. But more often than not, it is. the little things that they do without even noticing themselves. You go, oh, I see. You know, if you told them that they did something a certain way, they probably wouldn't even realize it. It's like how you would tie a shoelace or how you pronounce a certain word that you just do it. You don't even realize it. You know, until someone goes, oh, that's not how other people do it. Or it was a very efficient way of doing something that would otherwise take me a long time. Well,
0: you know, on a similar in a similar vein to that, uh, Ron Young, the guy that made all the Sculpt Nouveau stuff that we, he's the, he, he and his wife Debbie are the brains behind Sculpt Nouveau products, and that's a, you know, for those of you who don't know, that's basically a line of, uh, like, metal coatings and patina materials for finishing metal or finishing resin sculptures and that sort of thing, but Ron was, worked in the ILM mold shop back during Raiders of the Lost Ark and Poltergeist and Wrath of Khan, and he, he made stuff for any each one of those, and he had, he was good friends with another guy that brought him in for, you know, they were so overwhelmed with work that they brought Ron in to help with mold making, Mm -hmm. and he experienced that. Ron is an incredible mold maker, and when he brought him in and started handing him stuff to mold, he started making all these perfect clay walls and dams on everything, and they're like, no, no, no. (laughs) You build foam core boxes or cardboard boxes and tape them together, and you pour silicone, and you go. There is no, you know, they didn't have time so in that instance, they were, you know, it was like every corner you can cut to make this mold happen in, you know, a few hours, you do it. So, wow. so yeah, so he went, th- so he he immediately started just pouring up all kinds of crazy molds, but that's why, you know, you know, a lot of times foam core is my go-to thing for just that reason. It's, it's quick, it's easy. You hook that together. And, yeah, and a pretty good mold, and, yeah. And you're uh, done and, and it, and it gets the job done. So, so yeah, you know, and that's one of those things behind the scenes a lot of times, When people think of ILM, they think of this perfection, you know, and uh, not so in cases like that. Now, that's not to say they did a bad, you know, shoddy work, because they did great work. But it was, this is fast, and we are better off spending an additional two or three gallons worth of silicone on this mold and just dumping it on there rather than, you know, making
1: perfect clay walls and dividing this up into a more economical... They did a good job of being where to spend their effort. Yes. Rather than expend it unnecessarily on these beautiful but... Essentially pointless, clean edges yes. or molds. Or...
0: And Ron uh, has, uh, he had the honor of having made uh, Han Solo and carbonite, working oh. on that. So, yeah, that, and I have shaken his hand with this hand I'm waving around right now. <laughs> yeah, Ron, yeah, so that's that that's makes him uber cool, in my opinion. But And also, he made the little bug that they put in Chekhov's ear in Wrath of Khan. <laughs> And he said at the time, they just told him how to make this. They didn't tell him. It was so compartmentalized that they didn't explain to him what they couldn't. You know, for legal reasons, they wouldn't explain anything of why they were, what he was doing or what purpose it was served. So it wasn't until he saw Wrath of Khan in the theater that he realized oh, this little thing that he man. made. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it's going in this dude's ear. And, and uh, up until then, all he was given was a sketch and, hey, we need to make this out of, make this right. out of foam. So and then he was probably like, "Oh man, if you'd have told
1: me that, I would have done." that. Yeah, that that's, exactly, so that's exactly that's <laughs> exactly what he said. It's like, man, I'd them that it's gonna be way better.
0: But uh, yeah, so that yeah, that and you know that world of very compartmentalized. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever see a period of time like that again. You know, I've 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 only worked on a few shows that were had that kind of that that uh, not anything of that level of secrecy. But yeah, he said. He was one of the few guys, and it was only because he was friends with the guy that hired him, that he was allowed to go between these departments. He said all these guys were kind of on lockdown in different departments doing their own thing, and uh, there's very little crossover. And, and yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see that again in, practical, in the practical effects world. I know in the digital world, that's still very much how it is, but yeah. practically speaking, I, I think that's kind of a... A bygone era. It's interesting.
1: I think it's probably because, especially with the digital side of things, there's so... Um, what's the word? Everything's so specific. And everyone knows their job so well in their little world. It is necessarily compartmentalized. Right. right. And it's probably... Over time, perhaps, things will become less so as people become more familiar with it and they figure out how they can integrate stuff together. But it's probably the same with, you know, with Malwick. I think like... Um, think uh to a certain degree henson's was like that henson's creature shop you know you had your sculptors you had your molders and if you sculpted something you did not mold anything you know you passed that over to mold makers if it took them three days to do it that's how long it took whereas you and i would be like well i i know i could mold this in an hour and i you know fit it into other things in the day and i'll get this done today because then i've got it ready for tomorrow whereas they were like no no, no. this is the process and it became like a week job or a month job or whatever well The there was a
0: shop I worked at, like I worked at a prosthetic limb shop. That was my first experience actually casting silicone. And uh, the shop I worked at, and I'll just uh, this is this is just a fascinating story. This is this is a good reason to work for as many. You know, if I was to give any advice for, I'm I'm assuming do you have do you have any new folks listening that follow this that are getting into it i hope hopefully i think a good
1: proportion know. of them are i mean uh Ryan, let that's no <laughs> yeah yeah well, I, I think I'm a lot curious. of just polite friends who just okay like, play, oh, yeah. she was doing a podcast we told maybe we should listen to it but no i think yeah. we, do, we get a fair well, because i try to address uh each blog post we try to address specific things that's why it's called battles with bits of Rub, because we're it's about the problems typically we have or talk to people that have dealt with problems rather than I'm thinking, this is amazing and easy and you know spend money on it and it's amazing I get like, nothing yeah. but women and yeah. money thrown yeah. at me daily because it's awesome yeah. yeah no it's it's basically <laughs> the thing I, when I teach <laughs> when I teach in a lot of courses I usually start with Okay, you're not going to do the best work you've ever done here. You're probably just going to make lots of mistakes, and that is necessarily the yes, case. Yes, that's the place to make mistakes. This is where we it? do it, and this yeah. is why, and, but that's the good thing, and it, it, you know it, it's hard. So I, I I celebrate the difficulty of it, because I appreciate that's what it takes to overcome these things. So I, I want to throw some light on that. So hopefully, if there are new people, they, they, they will take cover. Some people I, will run screaming to the hills
0: yeah, okay. some people—the ones that powered through the whole baby part of our conversation, the silicone baby part of the conversation—the ones that are left, yeah, are, that's know, why we you, put that at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, it was a we're shit just test. that's a, yeah, that's that's like to see how much that's like, like climbing a mountain and yeah. just seeing who falls out and yeah. doesn't make it to the top. So, so if you are serious about this and you're starting out, I and I tell this to guys coming in our store all the time that find a place like an art bronze foundry or. You know, a local design studio or something where you can get a job making molds and doing some of this stuff, where that can be part of your daily life. Because when you're doing that, when you actually have to do it as a job, it forces you to get good at it. And you're not going to make a lot of money. You're gonna you're gonna make you're gonna be living on poverty wages. But you can you know contrast that against. There's a lot of people that spend a lot of money going to schools to get specialized knowledge that they will not get even a sliver of that knowledge that you will get from that real world experience of working in some of the shops. So find some of those local shops that you can work out. It may not be, you know, a, a walk in the park or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're definitely not going to get rich doing it, but you will learn a phenomenal amount about what makes an effect shop tick. I mean, I still draw on my mold knowledge at house Bronze. And more importantly, as a business owner, I draw on my original knowledge of uh, my magic store days, all the way back to that, of just watching how a magic store function. And, I mean, uh, that seems silly now to think about watching rubber chickens get sold and things like that. But, I mean, that that's essentially, we're operating on that same kind of business model. So I'm still friends with uh, the guy that hired me back in 1989, that uh, uh, Bill Ingram, if he for any reason stumbles onto this podcast... Uh, you know, thanks to him for hiring me because I owe really my my career to him for giving me a chance at that. But I draw on a lot of that of having watched him the way he ran the shop, the way he did inventory, and I still pull him in sometimes and and bend his ear about how to do inventory and and uh, you know because this is a weird niche. It's like the inventory issues that I have are totally different than a guy you know selling automotive parts. You know, there's a totally different, we operate in a a totally different universe. Uh, My dad used to sell mobile radios, and he will come in here and look around and just, and is baffled that, you know, we have a business based on people buying rubber to make fake people. And so, so there, you know, it's nice to have people to pull from, like uh, Bill, that I can say, hey, you know, how did y'all do it? How did you, how did you stay open selling, you know, rubber chickens and, you know, folding coins? You know, that's, that's a... you know, you, you don't. You know things that, as a kid, you don't fully appreciate. I mean, you do, but not, not till you get older. Do you really realize? Wow, you had to sell a lot of novelty crap <laughs> to keep the doors open. You know. <laughs> so yeah, so things like that. You know, it, the more of those kind of
1: experiences you can have to draw from, or just make you that much more valuable. Mm. So yeah, basically taking part in the world. It's not like. Going from straight from school to ooh, I have a whim. Let's finance, you know, yes. a, a kind of a, a, a greased uh, a kind of uh, shoot of yes. a, a, a things I can scoot down, and then at the end collect my career. It's like well, and I think how it, it works at all. I
0: think it's very it's it's you know sadly with the the way the internet works now, it's very easy to kind of operate in a feedback loop of you know people post things on forums and get these attaboy's from their friends saying, oh man, you're great, you're going to be the next. Uh, the next Rick Savini, or yeah. sorry, that's, um, that's a deliberate. That's deliberate. To, uh, that's yeah, deliberate. Yeah. I want to put that in there as soon as that left my mouth, I realized like they're gonna be like, man,
2: this <laughs> this dude's a
0: hack. <laughs> he obviously has no clue. So, uh, uh, but you know, they, there's a there's an atmosphere now where you kind of have this feedback loop of people getting positive input from from friends and peers, cheering them on, and not necessarily a whole lot of real world. Uh, criticism of what the industry is actually going to demand from them i mean it's it's great if you can sit in your apartment and do an amazing makeup for five hours on your own face but being able to turn that actually into a commodity to use in the film industry requires interaction with a lot of other people a lot of deadlines and things things that you're not going to learn unless you just jump in and do some really crappy jobs i mean that's just sadly you know, I don't know how your first job was running foam, but I know I did
1: not get rich off of uh, house bronze. <laughs> <laughs> I have by the time t- I did, by the time I had my my job, I hadn't had a huge amount of career because I started that on my 21st birthday. Oh, but wow. I, uh, which was pretty cool. But I, um, before that, I'd worked in like a supermarket. You know, it was just like you know, groceries, stacking up shelves and clearing up stuff. And then I had a Saturday job at a cabinet makers and. Just, you know, just kind of like just really jobs where I I had to wear overalls and got filthy, you know, and you got shouted at and, you know, you were dealing with things that if they got bruised or damaged, it was a problem. So you learn pretty quick to handle things right. And, you know, you realize that you are actually a cog that has to fit into a machine, whereas up to this point, everyone's been telling you you are the machine. It's like, no, no, <laughs> no, this well, is uh, how and, society works. And to be fair, yeah, my,
0: my uh, job at the foundry, the, the, you know, there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of, there's a lot of stress. It was never like, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I, and at the time I enjoyed it for what, what it was, but. Um, it wasn't one of those jobs where as I was there, I was like, man, I've made it, (laughs) you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can, but this is definitely not where I want to be 20 years from now. So, uh, but yeah, so the, the, those experiences definitely tempered me and, you know, like I said, I draw on those daily to, to get by. And those are the things that keep me from snapping and, you know, shooting somebody now is having pushed through those, those moments. So any other questions you got for me, Stuart? Cause we pretty well covered like silicone babies. We've covered the sex toy industry. We've, we've covered, uh, you know, back issues of Gore zone, um, starting out the right, starting out. That's right. <laughs> the right mindset, you know, probably everybody listening to this is like, yes, yeah, I've so been there. So, but you know, yeah. And if so, then you just know all the more exactly what I'm talking about because I'd love to hear somebody's rosy experience of like just waltzing into a high paying effects job and somebody just throwing hundred dollar bills at him to sculpt
1: and <laughs> I, I want I'd like to believe that that's out there somewhere. Well, it depends if you, if you if you're a podgy looking bloke who no one wants to have sex with, then maybe that's definitely not happened because that tends to be the kind of the way. <laughs> Whenever I've seen any kind of favoritism, it's usually some, some, some ulterior motive that's done it. So when, when, when you, when you're male and no one wants to fuck you, it's kind of like, <laughs> if they hire you, it's because you can actually do something. You know? so. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Be as homely as possible so that you can make sure it's your skill that's, that's, you know powering you through the uh the industry is that is that kind of the message that i'm getting i think so is uh, but it, it often i mean it isn't the case always but i remember like uh, being at school because i was and this is something we've talked about as well we both have a i i think this is why we get on we have a mutual disgust of of, of of not so much the the existence of of competitive sports but the the rabid obsessing uh following of of competitive sport by others who who basically are people they do not know and they they have no stake in
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, that is something that bogs my if you're a if you're a big sports fan i apologize i i just don't i don't get it there's and it it could just be that you know that my flash powder injury just blew that part out of my mind or something i don't know but for whatever reason i just can't wrap my mind around professional sports and a lot of it is there's almost nothing i mean aside from actually making something myself that i'm proud of there's very few things i want to sit and watch happen and have that kind of stake in
1: yeah
0: uh, i just no, period i mean I, I would unless it's and if it's some world event then i want to jump in and help
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not there's not uh not anything i could think of that i just want to sit and eat doritos while i'm have, you know watching something that big play out in front of me i just can't Yeah. I mean, my
1: father-in-law is, uh, you know, a big sports nut and likes all that kind of stuff. And we don't, you know, we don't, we don't see the same things I taught on that at all. Like, I I genuinely don't understand how he can do it. And he genuinely doesn't understand (laughs) how I couldn't. And it's just like, I just, for me, it's just like watching other people eat and and, and expecting to satisfy my hunger. It's just like, it, it, it is not... It's, it's, right. I mean, I guess porn. You can kind of see how people could watch. Okay, they're not having sex, but they get something from it. But for me, watching somebody else play sport is just not like. If you do it, I guess you want to see maybe technique, or you're watching to sit. But if it's just purely for the, the professional armchair spectator, you can. And I
0: think that's one of the reasons why you know shows like Face Off. And and don't get me wrong, I love. I'm, Face Off has done an amazing thing for the industry of getting people. You know, interested in special effects and interested in things that you know. Shoot, just 15 years ago, most lay people did not know uh, that silicone had any place in this or what foam latex was. I mean, now thanks to Face Off, there are people talking using terms like foam latex. Now, albeit poorly, <laughs> but they're using terms like foam latex or wet clay and uh, things like that that they that most people did not know about. You know, just a mere. 10 or 15 years ago. So I will say that, that that's, that has been good. We've seen a lot of good and a lot of bad. The bad, of course, being we've seen people get into the industry that have no business, um, getting into, you know, uh, little Billy that's mildly curious about special effects that, uh, mom and dad suddenly think that this might be his way to, you know, the next best thing to be in a doctor or something. Yeah. And, so there's that side of it. There's a there's kind of an unrealistic expectation that maybe, you know, you're going to it's going to be like winning the lottery that you'll be the next big star. And that's something too that I I guess that's kind of my problem with makeup artists as celebrities is my experience has always been as a crew member, you are a commodity that's part of that machinery that makes a film. And you are not to have an attitude. <laughs> you are to be, you are to, you're, you're, your end product is what is important. If you have an attitude or if you're some kind of prima donna on set, you are not, you know, you, there will be some whispers about whether or not you should ever work again. <laughs> but no one will say, oh my, what a fab, fabulous artist. So that, that part of it, I think, has, uh, uh, of some of the TV shows that, that really play up that drama um, I think have kind of done a disservice in that respect. But again, back to the, the bigger issues, I'm, I'm really glad though that that's there, that yeah. it's drawing and, attention and to, it's to it.
1: Issues, you say, it's kind of like that with actors. A lot of people ask me, oh, are actors, you know, are they really pre Madonnas? And to be honest, most of the well known actors, not I work with millions of them, but most of them have been pretty good. The ones who give you trouble are like the extras and the background supporting artists because they're starting, if they're starting out, they're like professional supporting artists. They know how things are, but if you get people who they're just lucky, they look right for the role, and they've got this first part. Sometimes they're they can be a little bit kind of you know prima donnery or a little bit w- because they think that's how it should be because they've been conditioned through whatever TV show or, you know what I mean they, yes they think that that's how they've got to be, and actually you know the really really good actors if they were assholes from day one they wouldn't get asked back for a second day. So I think that they they've learned how to fit within the confines and the, the requirements of the industry to do their job well and as a result they, they tend to be pretty good people because they have to be. <laughs> because yeah, it's that's... really hard work working like eighteen hour days and being an actor especially if you're wearing makeup all the time. Yeah, you
0: know? You know, I've only been uh, you know I've only and I won't name any names, but there I've only been on a uh, you know I've only been on a few big, big big budget shows. Um, And usually it was in, uh, you know, bringing things on set to help somebody out or or bring something to a prop we had built and and delivering that and then hanging out with some of the practical effects people while things were uh, configured. But, yeah, I've only experienced there's only one actress that a big name actress that I was exposed to that I was like, she's kind of yeah 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 pretty much but uh, but even that was was really pretty minor I mean it was still it was just one of that was the only person I ever experienced on set that definitely had a you you are part of the proletariat you are beneath me I am I am actress I am awesome and she was to be fair she was a very big name actress so you know. okay. and just in case she's listening now I'm not going to mention her name because yeah I don't want her to feel self-conscious <laughs> So do, you, maybe, do you want it to me to explain really quick what Leroy is? Do we have a chance to explain that or, or not? Yeah. Int-
1: uh, could you I'll introduce just, who Leroy is? Okay.
0: Leroy is, this is this is one of the things, if you if you operate a business or really if you have a telephone for that matter and you get sales calls, my philosophy on sales calls is when somebody calls me, if I have the time, it is my duty as a human being to waste as much of that telemarketer's time as possible. So that they are not loosed on the rest of the world. So that is a public service I do, you know, a humanitarian effort even that I do for the rest of the world. So I have a character named Leroy, and whenever we get phone calls for the owner, whoever that may be, we steer those people to Leroy Thompson, and that is a character we have invented that is basically for exists for the purpose of wasting the time telemarketers. Leroy even has business cards, which you're welcome to put one of those up on the page. Um, there's even a YouTube channel of some of the greatest hits of Leroy on, uh, on YouTube. So, um, if you search Leroy Thompson prank call, you'll hear some of that. But anyway, so yeah, Leroy is, and he is kind of a composite of all the redneck kind of guys that I, that I experienced when I lived out in West Texas. So I channel all of that and, and, and composite that all into Leroy Thompson.
1: And that is who Leroy Thompson is. That's amazing. So yes. And you do it very well. Thank you. I mean you. I've Thank been you. I've been here when you've taken a call and you just switch it on like a Yeah it's year. it's it's a it's
0: it's uh I'm I'm not I'm not too modest to say that it it's a, it's almost a superpower. I'm I'm yeah,
1: I'll I'll say that. Because you don't even have to sort of think about what you're saying. It's, it's you, you, know, like, you know,
0: again, sadly, <laughs> and this sadly is based on real-world experience of being around enough people that really were like Leroy that, um, well, I, you know, I say Leroy's like them. I mean, I, that I, that is real-world experience. And and I have some great customers that are great people, and I love being around them, and I have borrowed I borrowed extensively from some of the personalities Certainly. to shape Leroy. So there, there are probably some people that listen to Leroy and go, "That's I don't understand why that's funny." That's <laughs> what I was going to say. That you, get, you get people like you could play a Leroy that's, thing and go, "Well, that
1: that's just just that's not right." Yeah, he's, they, he, everything he's saying, I agree with. Yeah. So so
0: yeah, so that's that's what Leroy is. So Leroy uh, mainly exists by telephone. And someday Stuart and I are going to collaborate and and make a Leroy makeup. I don't know. At some point we're going to figure out the part of the problem is we got to nail down the look of Leroy. You know, he exists one way in my head, but you know, I probably need to do the same thing of have everybody else kind of figure out what they see when they hear the voice of Leroy because you know, again, I have a mental image of what I think Leroy's like that's kind of this again kind of a swirling composite of West Texas kind of guys.
1: Okay. But, we need to nail some pic. We need to get some pictures. But and yeah, the, settle on us. So anyone listening
0: look. to this that hears the voice that I'm, I'm going to do for Leroy, when you hear that, if you have a particular mental image that comes to mind, I would be very curious what that image is because, you know, again, I have my image. I have what I I'm thinking that is, but you know,
1: okay. And how can they reach you, Mitch?
0: How can they reach me at brickintheyard.com? Is our website. And of course, our Facebook page and our YouTube channel—you can find us there. But thankfully, you know, Tim has upgraded our site to where there's a button for YouTube and Facebook and all that kind of nonsense right there on our homepage. So you go to BrickInTheYard.com, you can check it all
1: out. One thing that uh, people will probably ask is, is why you call Brick In The Yard? Because the thing is, that doesn't sound like anything to do with makeup, effects, materials, or supplies. Uh, I certainly didn't think put no, the two together. You know, it, although it's I, not. I was familiar with the with the with the, uh, the, um, the YouTube channel, but uh, it was like, oh huh, yeah, brick in the yard is uh, is not a name that uh, that springs to mind if I was going to start uh, a materials company. <laughs> so, could you tell, uh, explain a little bit of how it came about? I, I can, um,
0: and actually, I'm going to pull up uh, the YouTube video of the of part of this. Oh, while we hold on, let me get this in place, and I'll just click on this audio when it. When the time is right. Um, so, so, okay. So the bitty mold supply story. So brick in the yard. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of calls for bricks because of that. And really? it's <laughs> worth it. It's worth it actually. And once in a while, somebody will stumble in here and, and start immediately, despite the the look of the place, they'll start asking for bricks and the start. Have
1: you ever you know, considered stocking them just because? I, we have. In fact, the, that's why the there's shelf a couple life of, of a brick is pretty good.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of bricks over there so just in case somebody asked for the brick in the yard, we've got it. You know, but we don't have the brick. Does the real state? brick, the actual brick is well, okay, let me rewind. I got so that's I'll finish that sentence here in a minute cuz I can't I don't want to spoiler, I don't want to spoil that. But uh so what happened was in when I lived in West Texas in Lubbock, uh I was uh I was very interested in special effects, obviously, and I, I really wanted to learn how to make my own squibs and things like that that were incredibly stupid. If you are uh, impressionable and things like this will drive you to do stupid things, turn this off now because you don't. The rest of this could get you in trouble uh, or snatched off the streets by Homeland Security. So don't don't follow. Don't try to do anything that I'm about to describe. <laughs> so I was mixing up my own flash powder, and I would uh, I would make all kinds of little explosive things, and we even had a fake city at one point. We took out to the country and blew it up, and and filmed it. And all of this was in the name of cinema. We thought that's just you know what you did if you want to make you want to make movies, you got to make squibs. And didn't realize that wait a second, these are detonators that I can't, I should not be making. Like this is stuff that I have no business making. So I was making my own flash powder and all this, and we would. Um, all kinds of things and blow them up, and and I had a about a pound of homemade flash powder, very 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 powerful flash powder, um, and I had it in an old halon bottle that I'd gotten. Um, the I was in the Army National Guard at the time, and uh, we had some decommissioned halon bottles, and somebody's like, "Hey Rogers, you should blow one of these up," and I thought, "Man, that sounds like a great idea." So we.
1: A halon bottle is
0: what. Sorry, it's a it's like a fire extinguisher bottle. Okay, but they're these welded aluminum bottles that um, and it had a little brass valve at the top. And man, they were powerful. We'd fill them up with shotgun powder. They gave me like twenty of them, or you know that were decommissioned. We drilled them out, put shotgun powder in them, and we'd take them out and blow them up. And you know because you know why not? So I filled one up with flash powder, and the flash powder was I mean basically like homemade dynamite. It was not just regular flash powder. I made this, had this in this Halon bottle, we were going to take it out one night because a friend of mine out on his property, and keep in mind, this is West Texas, so this is this was not just a huge, you know, this is not a big stretch to do this, but he had an old car on his property and we were going to go blow up said car, <laughs> and it got too dark so we couldn't film it, so I had to bring this thing back to my trailer home and uh, I, I, I put it in my closet and... A week went by, and I thought, oh, wait, and I was about to go home to visit my parents here in Dallas, and I thought, man, that if this thing were to go off, that would be bad. I mean, this was like after the Oklahoma City bombing, and I'm thinking, man, this would be bad if this thing went off. So I thought, you know, I need to take this apart. So I started taking it apart. Well, I had this brass valve, and being cheap, I didn't want to just you know pour water in this to make it inert i wanted to salvage the flash powder so i'm trying to get this valve off and in the process i was tapping it with a hammer trying to get this thing out and i was being pretty careful but what i didn't realize was the formula of flash powder that i had made was reacting with the aluminum container so it had sat for a week and what that did was it actually allowed it to become uh a high explosive. It actually was shock sensitive now. So what before was just like a fast burning gunpowder was now the equivalent of like a block of C4. <laughs> so now when I went to tap on it, I still remember very vividly that third tap. I heard this bing! And that was basically my ears being blown out and this big flash of orange that shot me across the room. And um, thankfully, mercifully, the extinguisher that halon bottle I was in a mobile home so the bulk of it blew out this like cartoon hole in the floor and went straight down into the ground and the ATF later had dig it up out of the ground and there were only a few pieces that actually fragmented and went around across the room and some of the brass I'm still wearing in my head now but so only one piece and this is still one of those bizarre things that you know to this day I owe my life to this fluke of nature of you know surviving this blast only one piece actually hit me. I mean, the concussion threw me into the next room, but only one piece actually ripped through my right hand and partially severed three of my right fingers. You know, my pinky and my ring finger and my middle finger were literally dangling off and the bones were shattered in there. So I had to have reconstructive surgery on that. But long story short about the brick in the yard was I had this brick, there was a big cinder block that I would test uh, gunpowder on out and when we'd mix up our own, gunpowder would put some on this brick would spark it up and check the burn rate well the uh after the explosion of course you know everybody heard the blast and they took me off to the burn center and put me in the burn icu for the night and while my hand was being reconstructed the atf and the fbi and all those guys closed down my house and that's not hyperbole i mean they literally yellow tape around my house It was a crime scene. They thought that I might be involved in some kind of terrorist thing because of the Oklahoma City bombing and John Doe number two or three or whatever was still on the loose. So this was like a big deal and they, everything was on lockdown. And of course, my house was like a house of, like, it was, I had so much material for them. There was blank guns laying around there were you know and they wouldn't touch the blank guns they because they thought they were real weapons they didn't want to disturb any prints that might be on them so there were weird chemicals there was a severed head in my refrigerator because <laughs> because you know when you're it's not looking as, good man okay. yeah oh yeah there was so much i mean it was like it was like one thing after another stacking up against me so uh so they yeah they they treated this as for what it was. I mean, it looked, looked pretty bad. And, it, you know, here's here's a guy living in a trailer home. He has, you know, paramilitary ties. You know, he's got this house full of contraband. And, you know, now he's blown himself up and he's in the hospital. So, you know, we think we got our guy. So they, even the people in the hospital treated me like a criminal. I mean, they would come over and I, at one point, I had one of the nurses lean down in my ear and say, you were building a bomb, weren't you? And I wanted so bad to so, sell well, if it wasn't for you, capitalist swine, I wouldn't have to build bombs. But I chose freedom, and uh, the ATF—they took the brick because they saw that brick and they knew, okay, this guy's doing burn tests on and this the brick. ATF
1: is what? Sorry, the
0: Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Okay, they're the the yeah they're they're kind of like yeah they're they're the, the they hang out with the FBI, but they look specifically into matters of explosives and and contraband involving weapons and that sort of thing. So they took that that brick to a federal lab well when they inventoried all this stuff they uh they didn't bother explaining to uh the news people what everything the significance of everything was so when the news people reported it they were saying that i had a brick in the yard almost like this dramatic punctuation as you'll hear here in a second on the end of everything else and uh uh, when I got out of the hospital, finally the dust cleared and literally and figuratively, um, thankfully, you know, I had a lot of friends come forward and say, no, no Rogers is nuts, but he's not like that kind of nuts. It's, it's the good, polite kind of nuts that, you know, so he, uh, you know, he, he, he could be turned loose again. So thankfully no charges were filed. I didn't get my security deposit back from that mobile home, but I, I was allowed to, to walk the streets again. And when I got out, thankfully, one of my buddies had been watching the news that night when he he was watching the news. The first couple of times it ran at some of the news breaks, he was like, huh, that sounds like you know they were calling me by my full legal name. So he didn't recognize it first, and he put it together. He was like, that's Mitch. He did it. He went and blew himself up. So he put in a, a VHS tape and recorded it. And thankfully, we have that record. So I have something to pull from. And he asked me when he played this for me, he's like, what's up with the brick in the yard? They keep talking about a brick in the yard. And that's when I decided when I heard the dramatic way they presented this that I thought, you know, if I ever start a cult or a band or, you know, a commune or something, it's going to be called brick in the yard because this was just handed to me. This is a gift. Because when you hear the way they, the, they say this, it's like, this is, this is too good to pass up. And when I was living in Lubbock, a lot of people heard that news story. So a lot of people knew about the brick in the yard. So, um, and I, I would like to think that there were people all over Lubbock that were very concerned because they were good law-abiding citizens that were like, man, I didn't know we got five bricks in our yard. We were bringing those in right now. But there was no explanation as to why a brick in the yard was taboo. It just was. (laughs) So it was so absurd that that, I seized on that. And uh, in 98, I started using that name as brick in the Yard Productions Mm -hmm. to make custom molds for people and make props and things like that. And then in 2004, that then turned into brick in the Yard Mold Supply. And here we are. So, yeah. So that's where the name came. It's a long way to go for that name. But, you know, it's one of those things like when life hands you that kind of name, you know, you should use it. And just for the record, my right hand was put back together amazingly well. and I still use it to this day. So yeah. unless I point it out, I mean, you've probably seen my hands in my videos, and no one never goes, "Dude, you got a gimpy right hand." I mean, it's just that's just my hand. So you know, unless I point it out to people, they don't notice. So, so there you go, the brick and the yard. But now I'll, I'll play this for you and you can just pull whatever you need to from this audio.
1: It happened last night at the 4300 block of East 3rd Street. That's where the blast
2: knocked out windows and shot scraps of metal through the air. Neighbors say they heard a loud noise and say 22-year-old Reed Rogers stumbled outside. We noticed that this guy coming out the back here is uh, walking like this.
1: Medics rushed Rogers to UMC where he underwent surgery on his hand. Doctors also
2: treated him for burns, but expect him to be okay. The explosion occurred in Rogers' trailer home. Witnesses say they found him staggering outside the trailer, bleeding from his head and hand and saying he had, quote, done something stupid. Inside the trailer, witnesses say they saw test tubes, gunpowder, and laundry detergent, along with some weapons and considerable damage
1: the kitchen floor, a Uzi laying in the living room floor, a hole in the floor, a hammer through the roof, and a brick out in
2: the yard. Rogers is listed in serious condition. Following surgery, he'll be placed in the burn intensive care unit at UMC. Eric, it sounds suspicious with the gunpowder and detergent and so on. What What do we know about Rogers. Well, neighbors describe him as a nice young man. We know he works at the Lubbock Children's Home and that he's in the National Guard. And neighbors say they're surprised that something like this had happened. Okay, thank you, Eric. blowing off his hand in an explosion Friday. Hospital officials say surgery saved the right hand of 22-year-old Reed Rogers. The explosion occurred in Rogers' trailer home last night. According to witnesses, Rogers was found outside the trailer, bleeding from his head and hand and saying he did something stupid. Test tubes, gunpowder, and laundry detergent were found in the man's home. Police also found an Uzi, a hammer through the roof, and a brick in the yard. The trailer sustained considerable damage. Rogers is recovering in the burn unit at University Medical Center.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: So there we are. That's the story of, uh, of Brick in the Yard. And, uh... It was, a, it, was a, it was a good fun chat. and uh, well,
2: Mitch Rogers.
1: It was good stuff. And you know, what was funny is while I was out here, although I missed the actual day that it turned up because we were somewhere else, but uh, the, the new prosthetics magazine came out. So uh, just to say, if no, if you haven't read prosthetics magazine, please do look it up because it's awesome. It's such a good magazine. It's just packed with stuff. And we've got our eight-page article in there, which I was he, blown away pages, by. I couldn't believe it. It was really cool. Thanks, I mean, Neil. I know we spent thanks, a Lisa. fair bit. Oh. It was good fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. But the thing is, even though, Okay, we wrote some stuff for it, but the, the magazine is packed with stuff done by other people. It's not that it's good because oh, we did something. I'm saying it's full of stuff. I flicked through it oh, yeah, uh, when I got it, and it was just like oh my god, it's just every page is just something else to read. It, it's just like well, there is, but it's just it looks like looking through a Gauze magazine back in the day when you come across the articles about how stuff's done in the workshop. Oh, the paper, it's just like it's, that. It's like the whole thing,
2: slick glossy paper. The photographs are are
1: terrific. Yeah, it's just no nonsense, no waffle. It's it just a classy
2: magazine.
1: He is. So we were listening, you know, I was, I was reading through that. That was really good fun, uh, to, to, to find that that was finally there. Cause I think it came out in England a few days before, but it just took ages to get through, uh, finally to Mitch, but he's now shipping those out. So, uh, so yeah, if you haven't read it yet, prosthetics magazine, it's, uh, it's a good read.
2: And we'll be working on, uh, another two parter for the next two issues. Yeah. And we're just going to tease it like that. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be about yet.
1: So yes, please do leave us a review in iTunes if you can. Uh, but check us out—we're on uh, Google Play Music, we're on iHeartRadio, where the show is available in a lot of places. And a lot of people are going, "Where can I find you?" And it's—it's it's because it's a podcast. You know, it's not on your TV; it's—it's uh, it's on the internet. So we need platforms that can support that uh, mm-hmm. podcast. So if you have you podcast directories, your computer,
2: you can listen in your
1: car. So lots of different places and SoundCloud iTunes, all those places. So if you look us up, Battles with Bits of Rubber, check out our Facebook page, Battles with Bits of Rubber, and if you want to, you can email us at Stuart and Todd at gmail dot com. And then, uh, yeah, send us some questions. We've had some interesting questions come through, and they're all getting incorporated. I have to say, I think we spend a lot more time answering emails than we do necessarily doing podcasts about them because sometimes the questions are very, very straightforward to answer. But when we mm-hmm. kind of get enough kind but of things we have together, that it's good similar.
2: Ideas that have triggered a podcast
1: absolutely so that's all coming together but don't you know st- don't stop coming with them you know keep keep emailing us leave uh, comments at the, underneath uh, in the, in the blog post which will be on makeup com forward slash blog because i always do a podcast with a blog post if we if we can so there's some links and stuff on there and, and yeah. check the show notes as well
2: we're really easy to get a hold of
1: we are so what's stopping you do it now